Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Let's Colts head coach Shane Steichen. You heard that press conference right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan yesterday. And we welcome you into the DriveHubler.com studio fan midday show Brendan King, joined alongside Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files for the second time this week. You can also see Scott's work at 1075thefan.com. Covering the Indiana Pacers, Pacers and the Bulls tonight from Gamebridge Fieldhouse at 7. But, Scotty, it's your first day back in studio. By the way, Jimmy Cook on the ones and twos doing a terrific job as usual Scotty, back in studio, first since the Shane Steichen press conference. So, leading things off, what'd you think? Yeah, first of all, good to be back, Jimmy. Good to have you. I want to hear about (laughs) your celebrations here coming up later on. But first of all, it's good to have some finality to it a little bit, right? I I know a lot of fans were growing impatient, wanting, you know, who's the guy? What are we waiting for? I had no problem with it. In this situation, there was no true rush. You were competing essentially against yourself, it seemed like. And there was a handful of guys out there, half dozen, that I think I would have been good with. All of them present risks. All of them, you know, have those different factors that you are concerned with. The one for me in this situation, obviously, is is just a guy that has no head coaching experience. And coming off a year where you had an interim coach with no experience, I thought they might tap into that well of a guy that had been there. This is maybe his second time go around. He knew how to command a team. He knew how to lead a team. Um, they did not, and I, I don't have a problem with that. I just thought that might be the route they would prefer to go, Brendan. And, and so in this situation, you go with a much younger guy, uh, 37 years old. I like the fact, as we discussed on Monday, former quarterback. Obviously, you could see the priorities of this front office. It was a guy that was not only going to hold guys accountable, but it was also someone who could really help groom that quarterback spot, which is really been the number one issue with this entire franchise since Andrew Luck's sudden retirement. They're going to have to figure that part of it out because, as we talked about with Derek Schultz yesterday, to, to me, you're. I think you mentioned this on Monday too, Scott, you're only halfway there, mm-hmm. right? This is the first step of many that are going to have to be taken over the next few months and specifically until the month of May because you do not know yet who Shane Steichen's going to coach. And by the way, couldn't even imagine being that guy. The whirlwind of the week he has had, losing the Super Bowl, maybe getting a couple hours of sleep after that, and then flying out here, meeting with Ursay and Bowder again, getting the job, and then the whirlwind yesterday of the press conference and all the interviews he had to do. Can't even imagine his last four or five days. But yeah, I, I feel good about it. I thought he was professional in the press conference. That was probably one of the more emotional press conferences you're going to see from all the tears that drop but imagine getting your dream job and your kids are in the first row and they're like daddy daddy or whatever so that had to be awesome for him to have his kids and his wife and then the players there and I thought it was interesting that Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone were also there we'll see if they're brought back yeah we'll see if they're brought back on staff which would make total sense I mean it it'd be nice to have a little familiarity because you bring in a new coach and, you know, we'll see if the lesser assistants stick around. But I thought Ventrone was as good as gone. I thought he was going to Carolina. And then why would Gus Bradley want to stay if he's not getting an opportunity or even a look at head coach? But seems like we'll see. But he's here to stay, possibly. Yeah, I guess those two didn't surprise me. I believe they're still under contract. And 
you've already established those two units I thought did fairly well. It was the offense that kept holding the team back again, as I reiterated Monday. 17 points per game is not getting it done in the NFL today. You, you saw in the Super Bowl, 38-35. They need to score double what they have and be more productive. And the defense, they're, they're right there. The year before, again, like plus 14 in takeaways. Like they were fantastic. And so, yeah, it was absolutely telling that who was there at that press conference. Uh, we saw earlier today Parks Frazier, who was calling the plays for Jeff Saturday. No surprise at all that he's joining Frank Reich in Carolina. Um, and his wife, by the way, is from that area. Like, it just made too much sense for all of that. And so um, that was made official today. To your point uh, about him being emotional, how could you not be? Like, this is job. Your, yeah, this Crazy. is your dream job. Yeah. And, and while it was a little tedious or took some time, I had no problem either with Shane taking all that time. He was naming like 50 names at this point. The and- entire Eagles offense, <laughs> the starting Eagles offense, everybody got name dropped. But that should speak to his character. Uh, I, and Ballard's as big of a character guy as there is. You can tell why they probably got blown away in the interview. But all all judgment is, has got to be on the field. All, sure. all judgment has got to be on the field ba- based off of – if this guy is going to call plays, his head coach in Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni, kind of said the same thing, that he was going to call plays when he first got the job, then he gave that up pretty quickly. So uh, the early question that has to be answered is, Shane Steichen is a first-time head coach, brilliant offensive mind per even a Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers, but can he handle the head coaching duties with the play calling duties, that's the initial question we got to see from the guy. Yeah, there's so much responsibility beyond the football field that now he takes on from media to to speaking engagements to overseeing so many different of the the rooms. You might go from the running backs room to the to the safeties room, all those different things. So the added responsibility is something that a lot of these first time head coaches have to wrestle with and get an understanding of how to manage their time because it's not easy. You got to touch a lot of people, a lot of situations. And then so that's another thing uh, among the many things for him to figure out. But I think it's noteworthy too. I would love to talk to someone like Shane Steichen. Give it two or three weeks. He's had a crazy yeah. last year. I couldn't even imagine. I would love to get an honest conversation about what it is like being an aspiring head coach on his way to the Super Bowl and managing different interviews and managing your future while focused on a singular game that you have worked your entire life to get, to coach, to help the players and put them in the best best position to succeed. I think that, going back to managing your time, had to be incredibly difficult. Are you cool with the Colts kind of joining the cool thing to do in the league with this young offensive hire? Was that, was that your wish the whole time I think my number one thing would have been the former head coach the guy you wanted experience yes it seemed like this locker room needed accountability experience know-how been there Hmm. I thought that might be the number one thing and again I go back to my beat to the Pacers we saw that giant offensive experience with Nate Bjorkren after 18 plus coaches interviewed for that job fail completely fired in eight months Now, there are a lot of circumstances we probably don't need to get into, including COVID, how he never met the fan base with a full crowd or without a mask. Mark Mark Boyle never even met the guy. (laughs) Yeah. I did not until the following year when he came back with Toronto. That's right. That's right. I made a point to line outside the hallway on their way to the court because I I had been on Zoom with this guy every day for eight months and had never 
felt that personal connection and never been able to talk and go off script because mm-hmm. everything had been over Zoom. But to your point, yeah, I thought I thought they would lean back further, Brendan, to experience, former head coach. Let's provide some stability and know-how to this front office. Maybe you bring in that hot young offensive coordinator because clearly they needed a boost from that standpoint. And you could maybe even groom that guy to take over in four or five years if need be. Um, I had no problem with it, to your point, though, because that is exactly the way this league's going. It's not a defensive-minded league, especially look at all the rule changes. Look at how things are enforced and what is not enforced. It all gives the benefit of the doubt to the offense, so that's where your your, your coaching, your everything should lean heavier towards. Yeah, I do wonder how big of a swing in the end they took at a guy with experience because it did not seem like they were even tasteful in the Sean Payton thing he made it clear why though didn't yeah for for sure for (laughs) sure it comes down to ownership gm and stability there thousand percent so from that understanding he wouldn't even consider this job exactly but they're also it wasn't like there were tons of guys with just oodles of head coaching experience out there too and the guys you mentioned that had it Raheem Morris, defensive side of the ball. Dan Quinn wanted to stay in Dallas at the end of the day. Wink Martindale has never had head coaching experience. He's been around the game forever. So really, if you're casting a net, and I don't know for sure. I don't have any intel of like if they wanted truly somebody with experience and then settled for what you said, going the offensive mind and the cool thing to do. But the net that they cast... It wasn't like the other than Peyton. It wasn't like they were pulling in anybody with head coaching experience and offensive minded. The guys that they pulled were either young, inexperienced but offensive, or experienced but defensive. So that's the swing you're taking. What do you want to go with? And we saw that yesterday. Here's the other thing that was really interesting to me: is this felt like we don't know for certain, but it felt like this was Chris Ballard actually being able to do his job being able to interview the candidates. What did he tell us? He told us, wait till mid-February. He was going to run a thorough search. That's what he told us, and that's what he ultimately was able to do here. And I think it's important. The most successful franchises we see across all sports are when there is a clear ladder in place where the owner owns, the GM, the president of whatever operations is building the roster. And the best, I think, situations generally have – Allow for the head coach, Brendan, to have some input, but there's a clear distinction where the front office gets the players and the coach then from there on out decides how he utilizes those guys. And we didn't have that. We did not have that with the Colts. It was clear. I mean, Ursay said they probably would not have made that midseason change if Jeff was unwilling to take that job. I've never been a big fan of midseason changes like that. And you could see it in the locker room hard too. No. Other than the... uh... Other than the Raiders a couple of years ago with Basaccia. It was the only time I can really... And with Wilkes, I think, in Carolina, yeah, didn't well, he go know, six Ended and up six. okay. But yeah, but get, not good but enough to get the, the job, I guess. Yeah. But in the big picture and, and going forward, I've never been a big fan of those. I was like, could you not just... It's not like it was toxic over there. Yeah. I Players mean, seem to love Frank, so you could have finished the season out, given allowed him that chance. Sometimes what you will see, actually, is that midseason change, so then they can officially go out and begin their search, right? Officially. 
even though through back channels, even if you mid- make that midseason change, you're still talking to agents. You're laying the ground for work for what's to come months later. The only time I think it, I remember it ever working was when the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup a few years ago. They went to Craig Berube in January. They were the worst team in the league, and then they went to go win the Stanley Cup. Did you see the Jeff Saturday video yesterday? I did. And what did you was think? Exactly what I would expect it from him. Me too. The only thing, honestly, that surprised me was that he was completely moved on in terms of where he was. It looked like he was out fishing yeah, oh, in yeah. the middle of nowhere. If I have a little money and I, <laughs> I just need to get away, it, it looked peaceful as hell out there. Good for him. Which had to be the opposite of what his last like three months had been like, mm-hmm. where you were just swimming and trying to stay afloat of everything. Keep your head above water because that is so much to jump into and tasks to take on and people to lead. When you don't have those relationships. And so to Jeff's point, that was the one thing where it was difficult jumping in midseason and you don't have did he even have one guy, maybe Reggie Wayne, but a guy that was like his guy that knew what he was trying to establish that could help in those ways when he's with the offense, maybe with the defense, this guy could take over. Because by then, how I would see it is he would definitely have to be just kind of a tax manager. He would have to entrust certain things to those other people and delegate which so many find a difficult time doing. Um, but I, I thought he said all the right things. It was a minute 30, a little long yeah. than I was expecting. But, I mean, so gracious, wished them well, appreciated his time. I think he probably appreciated a couple of interviews for this job to stay permanent that he was uh, enabled. Um, but then I'm sure he probably understands why they did not choose him. You think he got offered a offensive line coach job or advisory role? I would be surprised if he does not have a role moving forward and it was the Colts decision. What I mean by that Agreed. is I, well, I, I think he'll go back to that previous role most likely. With ESPN? Well, that oh, for oh, certain. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean from the ESPN. consultant role. Right. I just don't know if he I don't know if he has aspirations to coach because as time went on, he made it more and more clear that he wanted this thing. Because remember the introductory press conference was I might be terrible at this and if I am, see you guys or paraphrasing. For sure. Right? And then as time went on, he Maybe, I don't know if he fell in love with coaching. I don't know if it was a morale thing. Like, I'm I'm one of the best centers of all time. I can't fail at this. I got to prove to myself that I can do this. Maybe he's that competitive. Or, remember Ursay, one of the first things that Ursay said yesterday was thanking Jeff Saturday. That was about two minutes into the press conference. So, I'm with you. I would be very surprised. He's going to have a bigger role if he wants it and the team wants it, then before, because what? He was just a special assistant to the owner or special advisor. I would yeah. think that with how much Ursay loves him, he would get somewhat of a bigger role, no? Ball's got to be in his court. If yeah. he wants it, yeah. I think there is absolutely some kind of role. Would it be a little awkward for him to already come right back Maybe. from interim head coach to, say, offensive line coach? Would you need a, a gap year? After all that, I don't know because it was kind of already it was already awkward when he was here. I felt like because two weeks before he took the job, (laughs) two weeks before he took the interim job, he was banging the anvil. I was there at the Commanders game. That was fascinating. And then two weeks later, he's on the sideline. He was wearing a Terry Glenn jersey because of the (laughs) retirement. Yes, yes, that was the great note. It was you know two weeks ago he was banging the anvil in a Terry Glenn jersey. Two weeks later, he's the head man with the headset on running the team. And I think that just showed how unusual this past Colts season was and how he was put in a situation where you, you're you just not going to win. 
both on the field and off. I think the hope is, and we won't have a feel for this, but those inside the locker room in the front office, hopefully he started movement towards change and fixing things that he had observed from afar. And then he certainly observed when he had his hands all in on everything. Those are the little things that you may not see right away or in the first couple of weeks, but could pay dividends down the road. And I think would was ultimately beneficial in him coming back. Well, and that's where Steichen comes in, because truly, as we have heard, if the true problem in the last days of Reich was the accountability factor and guys just either one, not working hard enough or two, not being good enough teammates, I hope Saturday had an effect there, but... Steichen's 37 years old, so does a younger mind assist in a younger athlete being more accountable? I guess we'll have to see that because you brought it up to start the show, the beat you covered, the Indiana Pacers. Didn't seem like Nate Bjorker helped that locker room when it came to accountability. So can a young guy, we've seen all these experiments now in the NFL. Some of these young offensive dudes have worked. Some of these young offensive dudes have completely failed. So again, the the first few months no first few weeks of Steichen whenever mini camp is over and they approach training camp I'm really eager to see that first week of training camp at Grand Park that's gonna be very telling especially his first few media availability sessions very eager to hear that and I am too because what you'll hear is I think him repeat the bullet points that he's emphasizing to the team yeah usually first time head coaches in particular emphasize and re-emphasize those points. They try to hammer those home behind the scenes and to the media. So I think we'll have a very good indication of what he, what he's observed and what he is stressing to this group. But he, he, I mean, what break does he get, right? He's probably already got to get after it and review quarterback tape from college, which I'm sure he was not looking at <laughs> while with the Eagles because you got Jalen Hurts. You don't need to. Whereas we have the we have the combine scouting combine here in just two weeks. Like it's coming up, and you've already had what the Senior Bowl and all, uh, several other different things going on. So, no real break for him anytime soon as he tries to set the foundation. I'm sure they're going to change some of the visuals inside the locker room to match it kind of to what he wants. Maybe with Sains and as he tries to establish that culture that he has seen successful with the Chargers and with the Eagles previously. Did you see the Ursay tweet this morning? I did because you brought it up, yeah. So there, are, one of two things are happening here. Number one, Jim Irsay is trolling everybody based off the Bryce Young comment yesterday. Or number two, the guy is in love with Bryce Young. T- two possible things. Jim Irsay tweeting this morning, my relationship with the Chicago Bears goes back more than 60 years. It's him at the Lincoln Park Zoo on top of a, <laughs> of a brown bear, which I don't know how safe that is, but that looks like a relatively young brown bear. That's a legit picture. That's kind of wild. Strikes me as a guy that just loves to poke and have fun. I know. Well, Poke and prod. He's got to be on his high horse a little bit. I'm sure the Steichen family and the Ursay family and the Ballard family got a nice dinner last night. And it was there were laughs and there were good times and they were talking about the future. And Jim was feeling really good about himself. Went to bed, woke up feeling even better and tweeted that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to have the coaching search behind them is, is a huge thing to check off. So I, th- I would hope that they enjoyed it. And now you get right into everything else, all those different things on the 50-item to-do list over the next couple of weeks. Jimmy, you were here in studio yesterday, too. You're going to be hosting tomorrow and Friday. What are your, what were your takeaways from the Steichen stuff? I was glad the process is finally over. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, on that, I'm not quite in the man. same boat How as Scott. How long have we been talking about it, this? It feels like three months, even though it's only been probably six or seven weeks. But I didn't have a problem with him getting emotional. I thought it was really cool, like you mentioned, Brendan, that he had – 
highlighted literally every not only Eagles offensive player, but pretty much anybody that helped him get to this moment. And additionally, even though to your point, there's been a hit or miss cycle of young coaches succeeding in the league. I mean, he's 38. Like that still seems young, but like by comparison to when McVay was hired, he was 30. Yep. Uh, I mean, when Zach Taylor first jo- got his first job, which was with the Raiders back, uh, I don't know, f- uh, 10 or 15 years ago, he was in his 30s. Like it, he's not that young, and he has the experience to back it up in terms of where he's been. That was my biggest thing. I wanted somebody that could mold the next quarterback of the future. He helped do it with Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. He did it with Jalen Hurts as an OC with Philly. Can he do it with Stroud or Young or Levis or Richardson, whoever they take? That is the bigger question for me versus anything else right now. He uh, he does not look 37. He, he, he looks, if my guess, he's, he looks a little older. Football ages you a little bit. Yeah, I think doesn't so. Doesn't it? But yeah, but This week has probably aged him, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't get caught up in the age thing like Jimmy was saying. What have you done? What is your experience? And this guy has a decade plus experience just in the NFL alone. I mean, we just had Utah Jazz in town. Will Hardy, 35. You would have thought he might be equipment manager <laughs> if you were unsure. Like, that's exactly what he looks like. Mm. Just a clean-cut, straight guy. You maybe think he's a PR guy, and all of a sudden he gets out and is doing his pregame availability here. So I think the know-how and the fact that I do find it interesting, he was learning under Nick Sirianni, who had both been with the Colts and provi- provides more of a spark, more of an animated coaching style certainly than Frank Reich so I think that's where even though those two come from kind of the same mind and and bounce each other off and obviously Frank Reich mentored Nick Sirianni and many others he definitely has more of a a, a intense a hyper-focused personality that I think does change things a lot more than what maybe that locker room had been used to. You brought up the Pacers, Pacers and the Bulls tonight. Coverage starting here on the Fan at six thirty, with Pat Boylan, Mark Boyle, Eddie Gill, and then the world's greatest postgame show with the one and only Eddie White. Bulls in town, a little short-handed though. No Demar Derozan, and then I think Caruso was questionable. So we'll see what happens with Chicago, Scott, as they come into town. Yeah, and for the Pacers, Daniel Tice, right thumb, he's questionable, and Miles Turner. I kind of think he won't play, and there's no need for him. Right now, look, this team's lost 16 of 18. What's strange is after tonight, guys, there'll be 60 games into an 82-game season. That's crazy. This is the all-star break. I'm not a fan of this. I don't see it changing anytime soon. But you can see not just as Pacers team and coaching staff, everyone involved, and all teams throughout the league, man, they are dragging. They are so ready for any kind of break. I was asking Buddy Heald yesterday. He's going to be in the three-point contest along with his teammate Tyrese Halliburton on Saturday. He committed to this over three weeks ago. I go, buddy, you rethinking this? Like, you're a veteran here. You're 30 years old. Don't wouldn't you rather be in Cabo? He's like, yeah, I am. He acknowledged, like, I don't. I think he was kind of joking here, but I think it's very real how these guys are desperate for a break right now. And so these guys will get to All Star Weekend. They'll get to Salt Lake City, try to get away for a couple days, and then get back at it midweek next week. Did Buddy Heald say that with a smile? He did. Yeah. When it when doesn't Buddy Hield have a smile? Buddy honestly. is so joyful, and I think you're onto something there too. One of the big keys to what this franchise has done, Brennan, is changed the t- the the tenor and feel and culture of this locker room by bringing in players who just have a joy for the game, who are watching it on their off days, who just can't get enough basketball. Rather than just good at basketball, they want it, that to be all encompassing in their lives, and that's one of the big key attributes I think we've seen a shift 
in the players brought in here. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. It's the Fan Midday Show. Pacers and the Bulls coverage tonight at 6.30 on the Fan. Tip at 7. When we come back, Indiana Hoosiers as well in action tonight. Big game at Northwestern for who would have known? Second place in the Big Ten. We'll come back, talk about the Hoosiers next on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It is 61 degrees in downtown Indianapolis, and there's not a cloud in the sky. And tonight... The Indiana Hoosiers played the Northwestern Wildcats for second place in the Big Ten. What's surprising? What's more surprising? I Six, take sixty-one I, in February. <laughs> Northwestern being possibly in second in the Big Ten. Absolutely, it's Northwestern. It's crazy. It's crazy. We're used to this weather. Wake up tomorrow, it'll be snowing. Probably. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. We're used to that. It looks absolutely gorgeous outside. Of course, here we are in studio inside, but looking out atop the Monument Circle, it's fantastic. So the Hoosiers. They're trying to do what Purdue could not, and that's win in Evanston. How are you feeling about this one? Here's the thing that I think gets really interesting for the Wildcats. What's that high of theirs right now like, right? I always yeah. wonder how a team that maybe is not expected to get a win like that, how do they respond the next game, right? Northwestern's not ranked. They had that home game that was special, that they were able to rush the court and all of that, and now they host another Big Ten power. One seed, three seed in the standings right now. I think they're poised for. I think they would be poised for a letdown, quite honestly. And IU, if anything, that would have to be a good thing for them to see Purdue go in there, have trouble, and lose. Because generally, off the brand of Northwestern, you're like, ah, eh, they're going to challenge us. They're going to make things interesting. They're going to not knock down some shots, but we should be able to handle them. You know what's crazy about the Northwestern win over Purdue? They shot 18 percent from three. They were four of 22 from outside, and they beat the number one team in the nation. That That's the complete opposite of college basketball today. But the Bowie kid, I mean, that's how good he is, attacking the rim, 26 points against the Boilers. One for six from three himself. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're not going to win many games with just four threes. That's but not college basketball. The reason they were able to, look at Purdue, just five. Yeah. So when those basically counter each other, cross each other out, there's there's your factor right there, but I'll be curious. Race Thompson, you, you want to see him back and playing and in, in, in the lineup there? We're expected, I think, to see Xavier Johnson return later this month. At least that's the hope. That's the goal. Have not seen him in quite a while, but it's funny to see how things have teetered a little bit for this IU team. Right, things were going good, then then Race got hurt. He's kind of the, the heartbeat a little bit of this team, and they they piled up a couple of losses, and now are on a roll all the way up to near the top of the conference standings, what, nine or nine and ten in a row? I think they're playing well generally, but there's still several areas they can improve upon. But I give a lot of credit to Trace, man. He has put this team on his mm-hmm. back and said, come with me. Are you on board? We had Jeff Rabjohns on the show yesterday, and one of the questions I asked Jeff was, you know, Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Shafito, they combined for like you know 48 points or whatever, when it might have been 44 in the last win against Michigan, but the other five IU players that touched the floor combined for 13. And, of course, if Xavier Johnson ends up coming back, that's only going to benefit them offensively, or at least you would hope. Race Thompson did not play in that game against Michigan, so maybe that's that takes away some scoring inside. But 
you know, we just talk about how do you win college basketball games when you shoot 18% from three? How do you win a March Madness game when you literally have two scoring options on the floor if Miller Cop is not going to be able to chip in offensively? I, I just don't know how you succeed in the tournament that way, Scott. Yeah, you need, you have to find other ways to score. you got to have balance. The good thing is this team clearly has not been the team so reliant on the three-point shot. Yeah. Or they're winning and dying by that. It starts inside with Trace. And, and one of my big issues the last several years with IU is they would forget about him. Like he is the best player on the team and he would get two touches in the second half or something like that. That was terribly frustrating. It seems like, especially with Mike Woodson and the staff settling in a little bit, year two, with his regime kind of taking over. Trace, you, there is something special about a guy playing his career out at one place and to see the growth individually he has made from year one, year two, to now year four. Honestly, I believe, if not for the COVID year, season, everything happening there, he would have went, he would have entered his name into the NBA draft, he would have considered doing so, um, seriously, then would have gone on to different teams and uh, went through those different pre-draft workouts. And I think that's where he would have shined. He would have gotten a kind of uh, good feedback, let's say, from teams that would have pushed him to the league. But because of all that, then wanting to come back, then last year, making noise at the end of the year, doing so well. I mean, those fun battles against Illinois and those two going at it, and then the Big Ten tournament here, I, I think he has he understands now this is bigger than him. There's not just the legacy aspect for Trace Jackson Davis, but how far can you take this team? And right now to be ranked, and it seems like they, they're building something special right now, and they're just at the beginning of it. I'd love to see Trace Jackson Davis go to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, but when you are dealing with NCAA tournament teams that have had as successful of a season as you and they are capable defensive teams, if a team takes away one of Trace Jackson Davis or Jalen Hood Shafino and Indiana is still dealing with the injury problems that they continue to do, you know, let's say Trace or Jalen, either one of them are taken away in an NCAA tournament game. I just don't know how I see them winning a game. If one guy is double teamed all the time and then another guy has to play hero ball... Scott, you, you've watched NCAA tournament games as much as anybody. That's just not how you win in March. Not ideal. No, it wouldn't be. Jalen Hood's the guy that could go for 30, 35 for you in a game. Yeah. Trace is the guy that's going to get you a double-double and could probably have 26 and 15 if need be. If one of those is, is wiped out with foul trouble or, or they double-team him or really focus on him defensively, that's where I think then it's by committee. You need Miller Cop to knock down a couple threes. You, you need, better hope he does. You need to see Trey Galloway not only lock in defensively, but get a couple transition layups. Uh, maybe it's Caleb Banks off the bench randomly knocking down a couple of threes. Um, th- that's where it's got to be ki- by committee after that because I think Jalen Hood Shafino is the most is the best player NBA prospect in the Big Ten right now. Trace is the best current player, but Jalen's the reason why there were 29 scouts from different teams in the NBA at IU's Pro Day back before the season. Jalen's the one they're most enamored with, and he's shown us most of the season exactly why. You might have just ruffled some feathers in West Lafayette. Trace is the best player in the Big Ten? Best oh, Going back to IU. Oh, going back to IU. I to thought, IU. Okay. Jalen's the best. Jalen, big picture, is the best uh, NBA prospect in the okay. Big Ten. On the team, Trace is the best player right now. In the Big Ten or on IU? On IU. Okay, got it. Who, 
Well, I mean, the big, big question. Ten, to big your... Ten Player of the Year. I mean, it's it, really that is a question, though. <laughs> I, I think it it needs to be more of a conversation. I don't believe Zach Eady is the shoe in. I don't think it's going to be unanimous, nor should it be, because what we've seen Trace do, especially over these last dozen games, has absolutely been Big Ten Player of the Year worthy of consideration. Now, I want to, I'm never one that wants to crown awards early. Like, I'm getting ballots right now for midseason NBA. I'm like, <laughs> no. What, what does the value of that? I mean, I guess you, you can track where your thoughts were at that time, and it kind of gives you an idea of where, the way it's tracking. But the award is for the full year. That's what we're evaluating. So I also like to see these pressure pack situations. For example, when IU goes up to West Lafayette, which star has more of, more of an impact right there? That's a pressure-filled game where maybe number one seed in the Big Ten is on the line right there. Well, maybe player of the year is on the line in that game. Yep. If they go up against each other one more time, and I'm talking Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady, yep. whoever comes out on top of that matchup, because that's going to be our last taste of those two, depending on what happens in the Big Ten tournament. But, um, you know, in West Lafayette on February 25th, that not only is that building going to be rocking, but that that's the last impression that you're going to get of these two. And really, again, maybe another team has a has a spectacular run in the Big Ten tournament. We've seen that in conference tournaments before where somebody steals the show, but... I'm really excited for that matchup one more time. What's amazing, Brendan, is the fact that if this was a decade ago, we're we're talking about Zach Eady being a top three draft pick. Right. Because that's right. what the position was valued at, at center. Now it's not even a position in the All-Star game. It's backcourt and frontcourt because they've removed kind of the value of that center spot, which is funny, though, too, because you consider Jokic probably the favorite right now for MVP for a third straight year. Joel Embiid so significant for the 76ers. Miles so, Turner just got 60 million. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what he does, the impact he has defensively, and he's having his best basketball of the career, which I'm sure uh, we can get into here. But I'm just so selfishly disappointed the Big Ten tournament's not right here in our backyard again. That what it's up in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then next year Minneapolis with the women's as well. Um, that that would have been a lasting memory and moment if IU and Purdue, let's say, are one and two going into the tournament. And you have the two best players in the Big Ten also on display right here. That would have been that would have been fantastic and easily would have sold out every session. It's the fan midday show. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. Pacers and the Bulls coming up later. Coverage starts on the fan at 6:30. Tip time at seven from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. No DeMar DeRozan. For the Bulls, Miles Turner and Daniel Tice are questionable for the Pacers. Good show coming up. Dave Spadaro, right? Dave Spadaro coming up from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. He covers the Eagles, and he'll give us his intel on Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. That's coming up top of the hour with Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. He'll join us at 2 o'clock for his breakdown of what he heard yesterday from that Steichen press conference. Brendan King, Scott Agnes, and Jimmy Cook on the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Midday Show. Scott Agnes with Brendan King and Jimmy Cook. Nice little mention there of Salt Lake City, and it's going to be an active upcoming weekend for the Pacers. You have Tyrese Halliburton. 
an all-star for the first time. You have Buddy Heald and Halliburton Saturday night in the three-point contest, with the la- which the last couple of years has been much more interesting than the dunk contest, which has been awful. And the list of names is not going to interest any casual fans. Friday night, you have your two rookies, Benedict Matherin as well as Andrew Nimhard in the Rising Stars game. So that's going to be a fun one. That's where I'm headed Brennan, after today, after tonight's Pacers-Bulls, off to Salt Lake City. And Fly out I, in the morning? I do. And on top of that, by the way, I should mention, that will all take place here next year. Remember, it was supposed to be here three years ago. But because of COVID, it got pushed pushed off, pushed to the back burner. Um, instead of having it in 2020, it was Atlanta. and It's been a run of cold cities right now. Brennan, I do feel mm. bad for a lot of these, some of the national media, right? It's been... Cleveland and uh, you know Salt Lake City and Chicago the year before that and now Indianapolis coming up next year but I don't know I have an official number yet but it's some I, I think there's over 50 probably a hundred plus of indie people downtown indie visit indie uh, IMPD convention center representatives that will all uh, flying into Salt Lake City many of them today actually hmm. to well, be prepared for and get a good look at what's ahead for next year. Well, the national media can suck it up because Indy <laughs> knows how to throw stuff at least. So I I think it'll be great. I'm like, That's going to be a lot of fun. But I will say, you mentioned the duck contest is kind of underwhelming. Mac McClung is in the G League, former mm-hmm. Georgetown and Texas Tech guy. He, he played for Georgetown uh, during the back end of my time at Butler. And <laughs> I feel like I... I've already seen the Mac McClung dunk contest because that's all he did during pregame with Georgetown. He he didn't shoot. He all he did was dunk in college. So I, I saw all of Mac McClung's moves. So here's the trouble. Here's the trouble though with that dunk contest. It's not only trying to hype up the league, but hype up maybe that next group or some of your stars. And there is not a star or a household name at all in the dunk contest among the four yeah. participants. Yeah, KJ Martin, Trey Murphy. Jericho Sims and Mac McClung. Shaden Sharp was committed to it and then backed out. The talented rookie for Portland. Doesn't seem like he likes doing things. Can we not Shane get Sharp. some stars here? Specifically <laughs> yeah, yeah. playing in college. Yeah, I won't let that slide. That's a good one. He he bypassed uh, Kentucky last yeah, year. I don't think he I don't think he enjoys <laughs> basketball really, honestly. I think what he said, by the way, was something to the effect of, yeah, I'm not going to do it now. I want to focus on the second half of the season. That's something a veteran says. That's something Buddy Heald says if you're not doing the three-point contest. That's not what you say when you're what, 19? Could be a, s- a sophomore in college. You're not a household name. A lot of fans, casual observers, are not watching you because you're not on national TV a lot. You're off in Portland. You're not a Lakers. This would be this is an opportunity, especially for a lot of those guys to be showcased for the first time. This is where Glenn Robinson the third was highlighted. Danny Granger, um, Paul George in his very early years before the Pacers made it into back-to-back conference finals. But it should be a fun weekend. But that slam dunk contest, very underwhelming field to me. Do you think guys? are hesitant to do the dunk contest now because Aaron Gordon got screwed over twice. And they're like, what's what's why is it worth it if I'm going to bring my best stuff and might not even win? I think it's two things. It's what more can I do because they were so good at it. Like, we have seen just about everything. One of the big issues, honestly, with the dunk contest is that these guys are doing eight, nine, ten attempts because they're trying to do something so outlandish that it's something different, but they can't even complete it where the biggest thing is just get it done. You want to see completion over 
you know, spectacular. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other thing I would love to see, and maybe they have tried this because I would think if they could get a company to do this, it would warrant high profile players is put something more on the line. I think roughly these guys get $20,000, $30,000 for appearing. Yes, that's great money for all in the dunk contest. All all of these different things. Okay. Um, Well, what's what's 30 grand to Jason Tatum? That's the hotel bill. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, like when you're bringing in, you know, I, I don't know the, the complete number, but I bet Tyrese Halliburton is going to have a dozen people there yeah, all weekend to, to see him in the game and that type of stuff. That covers your traveling expenses and those sort of things for everybody else. You're obviously covered. Um, but what if you had, you know, it used to be what the Sprite Slam Dunk Contest. What if the winner, there was $2 million in a briefcase at the middle of the floor? Like, I don't know what it is, but there's got to be some kind of incentive enough more than being viewed by national eyeballs and getting all the attention on social media that you're not going to get a guy of LeBron's stature, but could you get Shaden Sharp, John Morant and a couple others that would be spectacular. I would love to see that tonight. The Pacers over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse wrapping up the first portion of their schedule. It's certainly not the first half because believe it or not, this is game 60 for them of 82. You've already had the trade deadline. You've already had past that first half benchmark. So tonight it's the Bulls. Both teams kind of in the same positioning here where they're more focused on the future. This is year two of a rebuild for the Pacers. And I think by them, Brendan, not making any significant moves, adding any big moves at the trade deadline, it only reinforced that idea moving forward. Yeah, I'm good with it because when they were – actually playing well towards the back end of December. I remember Jimmy and I were doing a show, and Mm -hmm. Jimmy, what we were talking about was, look, if you have any shot at making this year positive, it's right now. Push your chips in. I'd love to see it. Give it a try. If it doesn't work, I'm cool. I'm cool. And it has not worked because, as you said, the number is pretty outlandish. 16 of 18? Holy cow. I mean, we my, my first ever year in Pro Bowl, we had a 10-game losing streak, and that was a 76-game season. So I could, I feel it. I get it. it so it, at, th- at that time, sorry to cut you off, but at that time, I was good. Give it a shot. Let's see what you got. And then the Halliburton injury happened. That's what derailed things. Yeah, it, it almost was fool's gold for a little bit, not just because of how mm-hmm. well they were playing, but the schedule kind of mapped out that way for them to be able to get out to that good start. And now all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, maybe they're middle of the pack to maybe as high as a four seed in the playoffs. And now we're kind of stuck in this no man's land period of, well, you want to continue to have that feeling of, man, this team is fun. It's awesome to watch. There's growth. There's a youth movement happening amongst the Pacers. They re-signed Miles. But to Scott's point, got 20, 22 games left. And is the play-in really worth something to fight for, for me as a fan? No, but to that front office and to the players, I'm sure there's still enough grind in that locker room that, yeah, they would still like to squeak in, albeit in the play-in, but they have to turn it around and fast if they even want that. Yeah, players obviously want to get as many games and many opportunities to be in the playoffs. You look at the roster, and even two of the key guys, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, have never experienced the true playoffs. Now, I don't think they're headed down that road, nor do I think they should. That's not what this season has been about. You're right. It it was, Jimmy. It was fool's gold. They took advantage of a a home-friendly schedule, a lighter schedule. They didn't play the top three teams in the Eastern Conference until, I want to say, mid-December. Started 23-18. and Had a couple of great road wins, in fact. You know, going to Miami. Career-high 43 points for Tyrese. Winning at Boston. Piling those up. And then I think they were grounded a little bit. 
sunk back down a little bit to reality. But what they did do is bring back the fans. I will say what the crowds over there been a lot better. have been fantastic. Four sellouts this year after not having one in the first two and a half months. Now those are getting back to the new normal. And so that's that's become a fantastic thing that they are being able to establish there. I think you see a core intact, but also this is a rebuild. They're going to have a lot of more lot more draft assets, three first round picks. I think up to three second round picks this this year as well with the opportunity to maybe have the first or second pick in the second round. So those are the things that you're trying to enjoy over there. Right now, it has been a drag. Losing of 16 of 18, nobody's having fun. Well, hopefully the fun will continue after the All-Star break. Tonight, it's the Bulls and the Pacers. Last game before the break, that's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. Coming up next... We're going to get back to the Colts conversation. Shane Steichen introduced as the head man of the Indianapolis Colts. A guy that knows him well is Dave Spadaro from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. He just covered the Super Bowl run. He knows Shane Steichen very well, and Dave will give us his intel on the new head man with the Colts, and that's up next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's time to hit the phones. Fan Midday Show from the DriveHubler.com studio. Brendan King, Scott Agnes, Jimmy Cooks on the ones and twos. Great to have you with us on a bright and sunny Wednesday afternoon. Here in downtown Indy, from the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Dave Spadaro, who covers the Eagles, is taking some time with us after Shane Steichen was introduced as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts yesterday. Dave, it's Brendan. Good to have you. I guess the first question for you is how much sleep have you gotten over the last week? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's it's a it's a grind for sure and uh a disappointment. But you know, you wake up and you go, Oh my gosh. Eagles just lost two defensive, uh, two coordinators. So there's work to be done. It, it's um, it's great work. It's fun work. Disappointing. The Eagles lost on Sunday, but uh, you know when you have a really great young quarterback, you you wake up with optimism. Well, we appreciate your insight. First of all, Shane Steichen introduced as the head coach of the Colts. Just in general terms, Dave, what is Indianapolis getting in Shane Steichen? You're getting a guy who's really, really creative offensively. He's very organized, um, who delivers a great message to the team, um, and who's, who helped build Jalen Hurts into what he is and has certainly has experience around the league. I'm not sure that if you're looking for somebody to be bombastic with the media, change your guy, so don't expect that. Um, he's very measured in that capacity. At least he was as an offensive coordinator. I realize you have to change when you become the head coach. Um, I like Shane a lot. I've gotten to know him very well and extremely impressed with what he did with his Eagles offense. He walked into our preseason broadcast team meeting uh, way back when, seems like forever ago, and said, you know, the goal this year is to be a pick-your-poison kind of offense, and that's exactly what the Eagles were. It'll take a while for Indianapolis to get to that point. Obviously, the personnel here, certainly advantageous, strong offensive line, really good receivers, deep backfield, and a quarterback. Um, So it'll take a while, but, you know, that is the goal for the Indianapolis Colts in the mind of Shane, Shane Steichen, to be able to, you know, dictate to defenses in every way possible. Joined now by Dave Spadaro of PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Dave, I'm curious. I'm, I assume you were able to watch his, his opening presser yesterday, and if that was the case, what stood out to you? Did anything surprise you or the message that he was conveying to Colts fans for the first time? Yeah, honestly, I didn't watch it. I apologize. I, um, you know, we, the, the day after for the Eagles was clean out the locker day, and 
So it was pretty busy here. I did not get to see Shane. Um, I saw the pictures, you know, so I'm walk out, pose for the camera with the five o'clock shadow. Uh, he, <laughs> he needs to clean that up a little bit. But um, uh, no, I didn't see. I didn't. I don't know the message, and I, I can't even imagine with working on zero sleep. What, what was it like? That was that was the thing I w- we were talking about earlier. Just the fact that in the biggest moment of your life, you're trying to not only prepare for potentially what's next with this job, Dave, but also prepare the team you've been working with for the last couple of seasons. The managing of time has something that, you know, a, a, someone in that spot previously obviously has had to handle. He has. And then now coming to the, the Colts and his first couple of tasks. There's so much on his plate. I think number one obviously becomes the quarterback. What have you seen from him in terms of, you know, grooming quarterbacks in his, in his development with both Jalen Hurts and that offense? What stands out to you about what those players have talked about from him? Yeah, you want to play to the strengths of what you have, the personnel that you have. So, you know, the first step for Shane obviously is to learn his personnel, and in a very short period of time, now, there's going to be some uh, learning curve needed here in a lot of different ways. You don't have the quarterback yet. Um, I know you have pieces certainly along the offensive line. The play there is vital. I'm sure that Shane will be one of those coaches who wants to build from the line of scrimmage out. That's the ideal game plan. That's what the Eagles have been doing for many years here. Uh, and then he'll address the quarterback position. So, But, look, he's he really, really worked with, with Jalen Hurts. I mean, after Jalen, those first four games he started back in 2020, you saw some of the promise. But over the course of time with Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen here, you saw every part of his game really refined and hung in the pocket longer, um, took coaching extremely well, corrected mistakes, um, went to reads two and three, wasn't as willing as he was obviously as a rookie to pull it down and run after the first read wasn't open. So it is a it is a gradual process. Shane is a painstakingly you know uh, step by step guy, very meticulous in his preparation. Um, obviously manages time well. I thought he set up the play calling extremely well. Midway through 2020, Sirianni turned the play calling over to Shane Steichen, so he's got experience there. thought he did a terrific job with the Eagles. I mean, the only time the Eagles ever really stopped were stopped offensively this year is when they turned the football over. And, and that only happened in a couple of games. So he demands consistency. He demands excellence, precision, dedication. Um, and and Jalen Hurts was the perfect quarterback for that. Dave, how aggressive – of a play caller did Shane Steichen become over his time calling plays with the Eagles? Yeah, I mean, look, the Eagles were really prolific offensively, and, and, and again, they were able to see what the defense was trying to do to them and beat them in other ways and really just take it to every single defense this year. Um, and he set up plays very well, and, and it wasn't trickery. It was very fundamental good football. I think that's one of the things that he'll stress early on with the Colts. It's, it's really, it really is very important to be a fundamentally sound team as the Eagles have become under Nick Sirianni and, and with the guidance offensively of Shane Steichen. Talking with Dave Spadaro of PhiladelphiaEagles.com. What was this process like internally or really from, from the Eagles' standpoint of seeing you know, their key coordinators – involved and active and pursuing these other jobs what were the players very uh, you know looking forward to see those guys get an opportunity although it obviously creates this holes for a team that's really going to try to come back and get right back to the Super Bowl yeah I think Jalen just you know expressed it really succinctly yesterday he was happy for Shane and you know Shane will do a good job with the Colts you you want 
people to have opportunities to thrive and to blossom and to grow. And, and Shane's getting his chance. Jonathan's getting his chance in, in Arizona. And, and that is the, the price you pay as an organization for success. And you anticipate these things. And I've always kind of described Howie Roseman, the general manager here, as somebody who has one eye on the future, one eye on the present. And you have to operate that way in the NFL. Everybody anticipated that Shane would get a lot of attention. Uh, clearly with the offense at the Eagles, have had these last couple of seasons. Look, last year they led the league in 2021. They led the league in rushing. They they changed midstream. They changed in the middle of the season. It became and they played to the strength of the football team as Jalen was developing, as the team was you know becoming a more prolific team on the outside. And certainly the addition of AJ Brown helped that. The Eagles did what worked, and and that was lean on the offensive line, run the football and have success that way. Don't turn the football over. And those are going to be hallmarks of what the Indianapolis Colts are going to do with Jonathan Taylor there, with pieces at the offensive line that are very good. I mean, you have a really good foundation in place. Shane will get the quarterback and work with the quarterback and develop that young man. And the Colts will be off in, in passing, running, doing what they will. I, I just I think the world of Shane, I think everybody here does, and we're all really happy for him. At the same time now, the Eagles – understandably know they need to replace Shane and Jonathan. That is, again, what happens when you become a really good football team. Shane Steikens, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, talking about it with us. Dave Spadaro from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Dave, I think a lot of people around here are sort of looking at the ironic thing that the Colts fired Frank Reich to hire the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, and they're kind of doing the same thing over again. I know you've been on the Eagles beat for a long time covering a couple Super Bowls of course the last one Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator so Shane Steichen coming here to Indianapolis do you see any similarities between Reich and Steichen either of how they operate as play callers or even of what they do on a daily basis and how they speak you know I I also have the the world of respect for Frank Reich and I can't tell you I don't know what I'm not familiar with what happened in Indianapolis um, again, it kind of traces back to the quarterback, right? Like if you – and coaches always talk about it. You can be the greatest coach in the world. If you don't have the players, it's really hard to have success. So clearly the Colts didn't find that uh, they had the answer at the quarterback position, and, and, and Frank paid the price for that. And yeah, I'm not sure if I really see a ton of familiarity with them. I, uh, similarities between Frank and, and, and Shane. I mean, it's a different it's, – it's different. the Eagles are running a different offense here than what right. they ran with Doug Peterson and Frank that – um, a di- different kind of quarterback, you know. Uh, this is a very dynamic quarterback who, uh, who who can who wins with his legs, who wins with his arm. The Eagles didn't really do that as much, obviously, with Nick Foles and early on with Carson a little bit. But the, the Carson Wentz now is a, clearly a different quarterback than he was in early 2017 before he was hurt. So I, I but I think that I think that Shane has shown how adaptable he can be, and Frank has shown throughout his career how adaptable he can be. So. Uh, I think there, in that sense, there's similarities in the way they prepare. Similar, the, the success they've had clearly very similar. And um, you know, they're they're both grinders and they both love the game. And and heck, they're both head coaches now. So, but I but again, until look, it, Shane is a great coach. But until you get a quarterback, it's going to be really hard for him to have success. And hopefully, for the fans of the Indianapolis Colts and for the success of Shane Steichen, uh, he will he will have that he will have that success with a coach in the draft or in free agency or whatever you guys decide to do. David may be a little bit too early, but I am curious. We see so much in sports, but really in life, it's a relationship business. I'm curious, is there any obvious friendships, connections that Shane Steichen had on that staff that maybe he would consider to bring with him? 
Yeah, that's the question. I don't, I don't, I haven't heard anything internally about that. I don't know what his plan is in terms of the coaching staff that he presented to Mr. Ursay. So, uh, but nothing that I know of internally. And uh, the Eagles um, have some really young coaches that they value very much. That uh, as Shane leaves, and you know, the possibility of people getting promoted internally is very real. So, uh, but yeah, there's some very talented young coaches here who I'm sure would would do a great job with Shane. But I'm, I'm sure also. The Eagles want to do everything they can to keep them here. But I've not heard anything that would be uh, uh, newsworthy to, to pass along that, uh, of who Shane might bring along, either from his connections in Philly or, or from around the league where he's, where he's been previous stops. Dave, looking outside of the quarterback position, other than Jalen Hurts, can you think of a position group with Philly, with Shane Steichen as the offensive coordinator, that really, really developed positively under his direction? Yeah, yeah I would tell you the running backs. I mean, Miles um, Sanders was an inconsistent Running back um, in his first couple of years here, um, certainly the last two years he's been outstanding, made the Pro Bowl this year. They've developed depth. They brought along a mid-round draft, a late-round draft at Kenny Gainwell from the 2021 draft, a very, very valuable contributor. Boston Scott, they brought him along uh, as a, and really utilized him to the maximum capacity of, of his ability. So I think Shane does a great job with that. Um, Developing running backs are, are, listen, the Eagles wide receivers were terrific, tight end outstanding. I mean, he, Shane involved everybody in the offense. Everybody thrived under Shane Steichen. And, um, and look, you guys have a dynamic top-of-the-class running back in, in Jonathan Taylor there, so you're off to a good start there and expect Shane to use him in, in the very most beneficial ways for the Colts offense. Dave, last thing, going back to the Super Bowl, I, I really have not had a, a very good explanation of what in the world was going on with the grass? Uh, what was your understanding of the playing surface and what the hell was going on? Yeah, I mean, I only know what the players said, and, and it was, it was. I think Jordan Mailata said it was like playing on a skating rink. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of, I mean, look, we got a kickoff or a place kicker slipped. I mean, it was, it was everyone. And so, it, and it wasn't that way. I don't recall it being like that early in the season when the Eagles played the Cardinals. Um, but you know they tray in that 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 field every game, and and for both teams it was it was not an ideal playing surface, and it really marred the Super Bowl. And I think you know that's something the NFL needs to look into. That's something that should not happen. You should play in maximum playing conditions um, in the penultimate game of the season, and, and the field clearly was not at that level. And, and the last thing, Dave, just on the Eagles front, losing both coordinators. I mean, that is never easy for a football team, especially a team that just went to a Super Bowl. Uh, Jonathan Gannon going to the Cardinals. Where do you see Nick Sirianni going from here? Could Brian Johnson, the QB coach, be in line for the offensive coordinator possibly? Absolutely is a candidate. There's there's internal candidates on defense as well. And again, the Eagles anticipated this happening, and it is a really crucial point that you see around the league and that I've experienced here in Philadelphia, that your coaching staff gets rated. You have to think proactively. You have to have a very strong list and, you know, you have to act relatively quickly here. I mean, the combines in a couple of weeks, the free agency starts in a month. Um, You know, the NFL draft is six weeks after that. So it is coming very quickly. I know Howie Roseman is already uh, with with that and with free agency and Eagles have two first round draft picks. I mean, there is a lot happening with the Philadelphia Eagles now. So again, they anticipated it. They've got a strong internal cast of candidates. Uh, I'm sure they'll look outside that internal list as well. But I feel very confident that Howie and Nick will put together a great coaching staff. Um, there are a lot of excellent, excellent young coaches here. 
Dave Spadaro covers the Eagles for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. He's been on that beat for a long, long time. Dave, we appreciate your insight on Shane Steichen, the new head man of the Colts, and appreciate the time today. Hey, thanks very much, guys. And I really do think Shane will do a great job, but you got to get the quarterback first. <laughs> we, we have been understanding that for a number of years now. We'll see what happens, Dave. Thank you. Okay, thank you, guys. Dave Spadaro with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Scott Agnes, that's exactly why we let off the show saying you are halfway there. The biggest decision, and we have seen that many times across the league, you got to get the QB right. It's what he it, just said. It's what it's all about. And this, <laughs> we've seen just a rotation of quarterbacks since 2018, since Andrew Luck's sudden retirement. And so once they get that straightened out, once they're able to build upon something and not just find a stopgap, not just go to the used car lot and try to get something that's going to run for the next couple of years. Now you have someone you can grow together, you can build together, that can be here. For an extended time, six, seven, eight plus years is the hope if you get it right. And so now becomes the real debate. Because even if you have a good coaching staff, but you don't have that quarterback, you don't really have much in this league. And so um, that that will become the interesting development over these last couple, uh, these next couple of weeks. And I'm sure within the Colts front office in that scouting department, one side of it was probably all in on this coaching staff, especially at the heavy top. And then the other group of 20, you know, maybe locked in. Give me your in- input on the co- or on the quarterback. Why do you think this will succeed? And then on top of that, it's all about gathering intel on the field, off the field. What makes this guy tick? Does he love the game? Is he in it just for this, this, and this? Um, those are the the things they're trying to dig up, understand, and learn about who could be the next face of this franchise. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. It's the Fan Midday Show from the DriveHubler.com studio. We're going to continue the Colts chatter at 2 o'clock and get some intel from Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. He was, I'm sure, at the press conference yesterday, and he'll be able to break it down. Thought it was interesting. Our very own Kevin Bowen was at the press conference yesterday, and and KB was the one who asked, uh, are you for sure going to be calling plays? And, uh, you know, one thing about the press conference, Scott, that that really stood out to me was he did not hesitate. It, he got asked the call in place question, yes, immediately. So how long is that going to ring true? You know, it, it, will he find out that being a head coach and a play caller is too much of a combination? But I, I like the confidence. He, he He didn't stutter. Nor should he, because guess what? He probably answered that for the last month or so with Jim Ursain. So whatever he had told them, which was clearly, I want to call the plays, I'm going to run the offense, of course he's going to reiterate then right away to the media. And that that was a a little note, but a huge one, because now it sets sets the table for what things are like going forward. And maybe they ultimately do decide to make a change or not. Maybe he can handle it, no issue. But that's something, I mean, what we saw in Denver, right, with Nathaniel Hackett, like week two, they bring in a guy to sit up in the booth and kind of serve in his advisor role. You it just, was his coach, <laughs> the, the coach to the head coach. You just never, yeah, you're exactly right. Maybe to help with challenges and when Time to outs, go for yeah. things. Timeouts, yes. Game strategy. There's going to be something that he's learning on the fly and maybe doesn't have a great hold on right away. Because it is a lot at once, and that's something he'll have to figure out. Where does he need a little bit more assistance? Maybe he has no trouble whatsoever calling all the plays. And maybe I I see that being a very strategic and smart move because 
he wants to be tied to the hip. He's going to be tied to the hip, like it or not, with whichever quarterback they end up drafting. And so he's going to be in those conversations. And that's why, assuming Gus Bradley and the defense is kept intact, that can be very helpful because it does not require a lot of changes for the defensive players, and that staff can just continue on. You talk about familiarity. I also bring up the continuity aspect. You don't have a significant change from that side. And then Shane Steichen can be all in on the offense in addition to the the dozens of other roles and hats he'll have to wear now being the number one guy. It is officially 24 hours post Shane Steichen being introduced as the Colts head coach. We would love to get your thoughts on what you heard from the press conference next. If you'd like to chime in on the show, you can do so. 317-239-1070. Open segment coming up next. You can join Scott, Jimmy, and I. Give your thoughts on Shane Steichen. 317-239-1070. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. He's coming up at 2 o'clock. Thanks to Dave Spadaro for the time. Quick timeout. We're back on the fan next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back. Brendan King, Scott Agnes, and Jimmy Cook. Shane Steichen's the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. We're breaking it all down. We had Dave Spadaro from PhiladelphiaEagles.com in the last segment. Podcast up a little bit later. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. He'll be with us at the top of the hour at 2 o'clock. Time for you right now to get your thoughts in on Shane Steichen's introductory press conference and what you think. 317-239-1070. Brendan, I can't let that go by. How about the song Well Played by Jimmy, I think, right Oh, there. yeah. You know, I just realized right you're a smarter man than me. <laughs> on well, point. Well, you the hope can't is, go to a Colts game without hearing that. The hope is that Shane Steichen's going to be hearing a lot of that. Right? That means touchdown. That's that's touchdown. I mean, hopefully you're going to be hearing a lot of Matt Taylor touchdown INDY. Based off of what he said yesterday, you know, I, the play calling comment stuck out to me, but so did the we're going to pass to score and run to win. That, that was refreshing to hear. And that seemed even more fitting for the team he's joining, right? When you had one of the top rushing attacks, let's throw out last year, but the previous year and, and what Jonathan Taylor had proven he was. I mean, going into last season, he was one of the top candidates for MVP just because of his production level. So it was not a surprise at all to me that that's one thing he's good at and has emphasized in his previous stop. But more than just filling that that top spot, Brendan, with the quarterback, this team also desperately needs weapons. That's what you saw in the Super Bowl. It's beyond the quarterback. It's a, a dominant tight end. It's speed on the outside. It's maybe a guy that can run a great crossing route that can help relieve the quarterback when he's in trouble. So while obviously a team that doesn't make the playoffs has a lot of gaping holes, but you start with the quarterback and then work its way out, and they have to add some some offensive firepower to this group. Well, Dave Spadaro was saying that he thought Shane Steichen, other than Jalen Hurts, said that the running back core with the Eagles is what stood out most development-wise. Well, that's great, but you know, beyond Jonathan Taylor, you know, Zach Moss – for one, is he a future member of this team? For two, can he be something? We saw Jordan Wilkins come back late in the year. Deion Jackson at times last year filling in was decent enough. He had that one monster. He was the you know what's crazy? Last year, Deion Jackson was the single game highest scoring Colts running back in fantasy. Hmm. 
because okay. of that game he caught like 12 little dump off passes for Matt Ryan. He had 27 points. Jonathan Taylor never got that. So you would hope that there's a resurgence back for JT in this next year. It's also a matter of staying healthy, making sure that ankle doesn't flare up again. But most importantly, Scott Agnes, it's the offensive line not regressing any longer. You're only going to have a good run game if the offensive line comes back. No doubt. And that's one thing that absolutely stood out about what the Philadelphia Eagles did well all season and what the Chiefs did so well in the Super Bowl. Their injured quarterback, who clearly was not even 90%, was untouched, did not get sacked, had a lot of time to maneuver around in the pocket, those sort of things. Here's the thing I do wonder. While we did hype and talk about the emphasis on the running back, do the Colts use Jonathan Taylor as some kind of asset to go get more, yeah. to go get more weapons? Because, like everybody, I'm very hesitant to spend on a running back position. That's something you just generally do not, and it's not worthwhile to invest in a first-round pick. And, and then maybe that second contract, because we saw it seems like the Chiefs constantly run through four or five different running backs, and they all are just as good as the last one. Scott, as well... It- if the Colts are serious about this Bryce Young thing, because over the last 24 hours, it has now been mentioned twice, at least. <laughs> number one in name and number two, everybody assumes if a team is going to trade up to one and exchange with the Bears, it's to draft Bryce Young. I'd be very shocked if somebody traded up to one to go draft CJ Stroud. That's just me. But Ursay mentioned by name Alabama the tweet this morning, whether that was trolling or not, it was sent. If you are serious about wanting to do that, it's going to take a lot more than draft picks, Scott Agnes. It's going to take players given to the Chicago Bears. They're not going to get rid of this thing for chump change. No way. No chance. Because again, when was the last time the Bears truly held the grasp of the NFL in their hand? It's been decades. Hopefully it's better grass than we saw in the Super Bowl. Yeah, right. <laughs> decades upon decades upon decades that the Colts have, or I'm sorry, that the Bears have not had this kind of leverage. If the Colts are going to pay up, again, it's going to take players, and it's not going to take truly you know, average players. You're going to have to give up a superstar if somebody wants that pick. The one thing I would keep in mind is I think we've already entered deception season, right, in terms of... Teams are, are not going to telegraph where they're going and what they're thinking. Maybe Ursay let it slip a little bit with a little suggestive hint there because he, he'll, he'll often do that, I feel like we've seen. But generally speaking, across all leagues, is you will not see it see a front office, a coach, try to tip their hand by any means because you're only reducing a value with a potential trade. Well, let's see what happens. For now, let's head to the lines. 317-239-1070. Larry is up first. Larry, you can go ahead. Uh, yes, sir. I'd like to know on the on the uh, quarterback if if uh, our teams are professionals here. I think you you guys are very good. The thing that I'd like to know is that do you think that they'll go to the draft to save money to to use that money in other positions? And 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 because we how many I don't know a period of time we get the quarterback on a was that four year contract with the coming from the draft. And use the money for the other positions. We need other positions filled also. And I've been just curious about which quarterback, too, if they if he comes from the draft, do you guys feel as though that they will pick? 
and that looks good for the uh, the, the new uh, the new chief or the new uh, uh, coach over the Colts. Larry, appreciate the call, Scott. I, I think the quarterback has to come from the draft because not only if, if the Colts if the Colts went with Jeff Saturday as the head coach, <laughs> yeah, and because you already brought back Chris Ballard, which frustrates some people. If you brought back Jeff Saturday, imagine then parlaying that by going after another veteran quarterback. The The city of Indianapolis collectively would probably explode due to frustration if they went Ballard Saturday and a veteran QB. You got to go young, no? It's time to get rid of the stopgap. And, and, that, and that's and, a young QB, not Bryce Young, just to clarify. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about any of these guys in the draft. That's where you want to build together. I mean, I think back a couple of years ago, the Colts, like other teams, could have gotten – Jalen Hurts, and I, I think it was Frank Reich who maybe reportedly was interested in him and was maybe pushing for him. But that, that would have been obviously an intriguing prospect. Um, what you, I mean, if this was a couple of years ago, I would have been all for going to get someone like a Rodgers. I don't think you do, you do bring Tom Brady just because, you know, back in the day. Right now is all about the present and future. You, in, you find the quarterback you like, and I, would, I don't think the Colts probably at this point – even have enough intel or have a decision made. Plus, they don't know exactly where they're drafting because it might change. They may want to make that change and trade up to get the guy that they want. I think they have to be comfortable with at least a couple of guys going into it. Uh, Bryce Young, everyone wants to talk about, right, the the size, the height difference. C.J. Stroud coming from Big Ten, I think a lot of us are a little bit more familiar with him purely because of that. But this is not the time to go to the – to go to a Derek Carr or anything like that. You want to go get your guy, Brendan, I should say, and you want to go get him at this draft. Yeah, I mean, again, I I don't think you can mess around. You can't mess this up. Well, you can't mess it up, and you can't go back to the well because if if this was a year ago, Scott, I think Derek Carr is an Indianapolis Colt. Would not have surprised me, no. But then they went out and got Devontae Adams. Right. And I wonder, yes, he got paid in the wide receiver market, got paid. But oh, from a situation bag. standpoint, from a comfort standpoint, from a success on the field standpoint, if you're Devontae Adams, aren't you regretting that decision? You could have stayed in Green Bay. You would have reached yeah. the playoffs. You were with your guy. You probably would have teamed up and potentially led the league. I don't know, receptions, yards, touchdowns. They had something special. And it's, that's one of those where I'm all for players going out and getting paid and getting their best situation from that standpoint. But from an on-product standpoint, an enjoyment standpoint, I mean, we hear Aaron Rodgers talking all the time about, you know, I FaceTime him. I talk with, with Aaron all the time. You hate to lose and move on from that situation. But, again, to reiterate, because we need to be absolutely clear, no, you go and get your quarterback, gotcha. and you do it in this draft. Well, nobody's going to be FaceTiming Aaron Rodgers anytime soon because he's going into that four-day darkness retreat. Could not do so. that. I could not. I, I don't even. I don't even know what the hell that means. I am fascinated by this. Like, yeah. it, is it an actual cave? Is it like a cabin that you just keep dark the whole time? Because I, I did read into it because I was slightly curious. That so, some people have actually gone to a cave and stayed there for two weeks. What do you eat? So my understanding, I think, is this is kind of like a house. Like to me, this is like an experience. <laughs> It's and, like a haunted house. Like you can, <laughs> like you know, it's gonna be the new popular thing. And they got, they have, you know, wh- whomever he's paying for this experience is bringing in food. I think he said once per day. <laughs> so you plan everything accordingly. The worst has got to be what not being able to see the restroom and where you're trying yeah, what do to you go. Do? 
But I think the the one day I think could be refreshing for all of us, right? No devices, no screens. Daylight wouldn't be too tough. Being alone would not be tough. But then I think you wake up the next day, you feel refreshed. We could all use some rest. And then I'd sit there and be like, I got three more days of this. That's what I'm saying. And I can't. Oh, Now, to be clear, he also said he could walk out at any moment. He could turn on a light switch and, <laughs> right. and adjust for a little bit and go back. It's all up to you. It's not you're not obviously not forced to do anything here, but this is one of those experiences that goes back to ancient times, I think. And he's very much a believer in little things like this that can make a big difference and and maybe bring things to the surface that you 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 try to tuck and hide and and not come to the surface when you're all involved with the NFL season and life. He can walk out at any time. It seems to have parallels to his NFL career. For certain. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I'd be curious when he comes out of this. And by the way, I think he's due forty million this year. Yeah, right. If he's he, he's a different dude, but I would be stunned to see him all out reti- retire and not get a dollar of what he's owed for next yeah. season. Not that this would happen. If he gets released, it's ninety nine million of dead money. Ninety nine million. Packers were planning for this. This is one way to do it. The Colts have not done this strategy. They want to pay it right away and up front. Whereas a lot of these franchises, this is one way front offices can maneuver around the salary cap a little bit and and, and give bonuses and the payments in form of bonuses rather than kind of contracts. But you still got to take the hint. You still got to take it. It's just a matter of when. And so they're, they, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example, they're kicking it down the road. <laughs> yeah. And so whenever that time is up, which there's so many, many parallels, Brendan, in there right now to Brett Favre, to Aaron yes. Rodgers, yes. three years in. Same thing. The Apprentice, he goes to the Jets. Might Aaron Rodgers go to the Jets? I don't know. But it does seem like this would be a good time for both both parties to get a fresh start. Him and Favre are the same. He's got to retire a couple times first. 317-239-1070. <laughs> if you'd like to chime in, Don's phone call is next. Don, go ahead. Yeah, um, I hear what you're saying about uh, the quarterback and Bryce. I think maybe you keep trying to keep Matt on. The guy, the uh, the coach is good with quarterbacks. Matt would be a, a veteran to work with a young quarterback maybe out of next year's draft because I just don't really see the top three quarterbacks this year. Uh, I don't. I just don't know unless uh, Bryce gets some weight on him. He's going to take a couple hits and he may be going like luck. I mean, you know, luck was a lot bigger than this guy. And he took some hits and it put him, you know, well, I think it made him retire. Don, so, I, I, I'm just, I'm not sure you want to go with maybe one of these. Maybe you hold off till next year's uh, class and see what, what comes out of that. Don, I want to ask you before we let you go, as a fan of this team, could you tolerate another year of Matt Ryan? Because my sense is I don't think the fan base, they're ready for anything but what we've seen in the past. I agree with that because I had him on my fantasy league, to be honest with you. And he really, he, because I had him a couple of years ago, too, when he went to the Super Bowl. That's why I picked him as my backup this year. My thing is, um, he, his, his line wasn't working. I just think our team had given up uh, sometime in the season, uh, you know, this season. And they just, I mean, just like when they got hit, the quarterback got hit. Now the offensive line came to his defense there at the, uh, one of them, I think it was maybe the last game of the season. And, um, you know, I just think our team just wasn't gelled. This coach may be able to get them where they can gel together. And Matt Ryan's still got a good arm. He may not be able to put it down the field like he used to, but he still makes good decisions and has a pretty accurate arm. So, I mean, I don't know if they want to look at something like that, maybe. I don't know. Nobody really knows where they're going. 
I'm anxious to see where it goes, but I'm a little leery of Bryce Young, just to be honest with you. I'd go for Levitz before I'd go for the top two because of his size. If you can work with him and get him to make good decisions, I believe he would be the best out of the three. Don, we appreciate you. I do think you make a good point that if the offensive line stays the way it is, there is zero, zero, none quarterbacks in this draft that are going to be able to sustain themselves if they continue to get hit like Andrew Luck got hit, for example, just as Don brought up. And he's right. That was Sam Ellinger that got sacked on New Year's Day in New York where the offensive line didn't do anything about it with Kayvon Thibodeau doing snow angels next to him. So the, I don't like the morale of the offensive line. I don't like the regression of the offensive line. But another thing that Don said, Scott, was you're going to need a veteran quarterback on this roster for sure, 1,000%. Whether he plays, that's up to Shane Steichen. But you're going to need a veteran quarterback on the roster either to back up or if the guy you draft is not ready, you're going to need that veteran QB to step up. So it's a good question by you. Can this fan base tolerate Matt Ryan being back? Was Matt Ryan healthy down the stretch? Not sure if that shoulder was even at 75% as we were going along. But you're going to need somebody to fill the gap. I completely agree with all, uh, the fact that you go get your guy, you f- find a veteran to fill in. Maybe you keep Sam Ellinger on the roster for that availability if something did end up happening. But, I mean, you even look at what Patrick Mahomes had with Kansas City, a capable backup and what, Chad Henney, that was yeah. able to come in and play. He's retiring, right? He is, yeah. I think he turned it into a sponsorship, too. I saw a photo <laughs> of him with a nice Bud Light celebrating out on the field. Can you confirm that, Jimmy? Um, Which part? The retirement or the Bud the Light? Light? Both parts are, <laughs> yeah, are true. Yeah. Jimmy, why I got... I, what was I, I want to hear for you as a fan? I love seeing fan bases, teams experience that emotion of celebrating a championship. For you, tell us about Sunday night. We're at my brother's house on the south side. He's been a Chiefs fan since before the Colts moved to town. Uh, a bunch of my family was there. Um, it, it, I never thought the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl was something as possible as a kid. So 2019, 2020 was more emotional. But it was still awesome. Hugging, high-fiving, you know, uh, pop some champagne, uh, some victory shots, all, all kinds of good stuff at the cookhouse. No, it's great. I mean, and it is uh, – I, I don't know. It, it's Brennan knows it because he's been in clubhouses before. Like, that's obviously it wasn't that kind of environment at the cookhouse, although that would have been crazy. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is uh, – I wear my fanhood on my sleeve like a, like a lot of diehard sports fans do, and – had you told me as a kid they were going to win two in four years, I would have told you were insane. So yeah, it was it was really special. A lot of family memories tied to that fanhood, like so many Colts fans have, like sports fans have in general. It starts with the community, and even though this is not the Kansas City community, to have a mini fan base than my family and friends, it was really special, really awesome. But the crazy thing was the emo- ray of emotions you probably had to feel at halftime, down double digits. I was one of those that wasn't sure. I was sitting there thinking, oh no, are we going to see a situation like we saw that couple weeks before? Or you're on the second quarterback, and maybe you know yeah. what what we all don't want to see in the Super Bowl, and then what they were able to come out and do. Yeah, I thought um, it was all about how Mahomes is going to look coming out of halftime. I thought he looked serviceable. Thought he looked far better than the type of emotion he showed on the sideline when he got ankle tackled. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was I worried a little bit. The only worry I really felt during that run was the the Bengals game when Burrow and uh, Hurst, they completed like a third and 18 late, and I thought they were going to drive and kick the game winner, and then Chris Jones stepped up. and So yeah, I, I wasn't nervous or worried, but it was, I'm with you, Scott, it was one of those moments after that injury where is this game going to turn? Is it going to be ugly, or are they going to rally back and 
fortunately enough, they did. Here's the thing I was really interested in, because I remembered from previous experience, Dwight Dwight Freeney suffering a similar ankle injury, and he was... You know, not relevant, not not engaged, wasn't able to really do anything in the second half of that Super Bowl with the Colts. I thought that 30 minutes would actually be a bad thing, but it seemed like very clearly it worked out well for Mahomes. It gave him time to get treatment, anything, you know, he really needed to come back out there. So many times guys like that will want to ride a bike or or, or stay active right during that 30 minutes rather than like a 12 minute typical halftime so I was actually pleasantly surprised to see him be so good in the second half because I thought there was a chance it might stiffen up and he would be a shell of himself there in that second half whatever they gave him <laughs> you want some? There's, there's a lot of people. Yeah, if they run the QC Kinetics, Kevin runs the QC Kinetics stuff. Uh, it might have been QC Kinetics at this rate. I thought for sure it was it was a, it was a cortisone shot or something and they yeah. asked him after the game he said he didn't, he didn't take a a pain-killing shot or so I I don't know I don't know what they gave him what what to believe right because I saw that too but I'm like this could not just be enough healing and clearly they gave him something right but what 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 was it if it wasn't a shot it was an icy hot Shaq yeah that's it just just another endorsement opportunity but no I mean I like look I've never none of us in this room have been I I don't want to speak for Scott fully because I don't know your entire background but none of us ever played anything at that level in terms of exerting your body so i don't know how much of it is adrenaline but the fact that even with that ankle he was able to have two effectively game ceiling runs or 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 game turning runs both in the afc championship game and then late in the fourth quarter of the super bowl i mean it he's unlike anything i've ever seen and it's why i tell colts fans all the time growing up i saw that from peyton I saw it from Luck. Maybe not the running, but you know what I mean. Like the leadership, the the making all the throws. Never thought Kansas City would have it. Here they are. But that's why it's a crapshoot. They didn't draft a first-round quarterback since Todd Blackledge in the 80s prior to Mahomes. Like it, you, it takes a certain level of dedication from the franchise to want to go out and take a shot on a quarterback. And that's ultimately the type of finally, whether they've been backed into that wall or not, the Colts appear to be back in that window where, okay, we're going to take a guy, we're going to, take a swing and hopefully he's our next face of the franchise you led me right into the point can the colts find one of those 317-239-1070 jim ursay he's been kind of teasing the bryce young thing before the break let's hit this call aaron at 317-239-1070 go ahead aaron hey fellas i want to make a couple of comments and a question first of all i think jim ursay he's not smart enough to throw a real good smoke screen i think you brought out bryce young because they're going to go with Richardson, the guy from Florida. Hmm. I really believe that. And, um, you know, I was wondering if this here new coach, did he ever play football? And I'm kind of uh, torn between something he said, they're going to be aggressive. Well, where was that aggressiveness when they were up 10 and they just kept on running the ball? They played right into Kansas City hand. If you up 10, keep throwing the ball. Jalen was doing a great job. They tried to run the clock out by running the ball. They were fortunate. They showed for three quarters they couldn't run the ball other than Jalen. He should have kept on throwing that ball down the field, and that would have killed Kansas City right there. And I'm just wondering if Ballard, I'm not hot on Ballard. Everybody's talking about how he's the best, both uh, the best general manager in the NFL. Leaves me wondering who's the worst. <laughs> Aaron, thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people like Anthony Richardson, so I, I, I guess it's just a matter of time. If it is a smokescreen, that's a 
pretty interesting he strategy. He's out here playing chess, PK. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing <laughs> chess. Not checkers. Chess, not checkers. Uh, Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star is coming up top of the hour. We'll continue the Colts conversation. Hope you can come back next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Coming up here, top of the hour, Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. He'll reflect on Shane Steichen's introductory press conference from yesterday, post 24 hours after the Colts get their new head man. Thanks to Dave Spadaro for hopping on a little bit earlier. From an Eagles perspective, he covers the Eagles for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Podcast up a little bit later at 1075thefan.com. Brendan King, Scott Agnes, and Jimmy Cook. Scotty, you were just saying, so we are carrying the Rising Stars game? Is that... I mean, the, the way that yeah. no, there it is on the big board. Yes. If the board says it, it's yes. true. Yeah, first yeah. of all, so, so ESPN <laughs> is is simulcasting and airing it here on the fan, and that's why oh wait, we're, it's the, the TV broadcast. Well, no, or it's like, a radio. Scott, bro- Scott has me. I'm bringing him into the weeds now okay, because you brought it. me into sorry. the weeds. Sorry. Scott has me paranoid about my own station because it is <laughs> interesting about why they would broadcast the Rising Stars because it's such a unique format. So that was my question. And yeah. if they How are, do you broadcast that? Then it's what they call it up Dan Schulman, and they have it him. Yeah, uh, I mean, I usually know. it's like PJ Carlissimo and uh, Mark Kestis. Mark Kesti, yeah, right. on the uh, on the radio stuff. All yeah. great questions for people above our pay grade. <laughs> that's, that's very true. The command center is not aware. We, but if the you know that's Eddie Garrison's handwriting. So if the big board says it, we have come to find it's it usually scripture. rings true, baby. Yep, absolutely. And you guess pick. who just texted us? Thanks, Eddie. ESPN <laughs> Radio. There you figured go. it out. One of many events, though. That'll be good. Yeah. At least there's some Pacers representation, not just that night, but every single night. You got Matherin and he, or excuse me, Matherin and Nemhard Friday night, Halliburton healed Saturday night, and then of course the big events Sunday with the All Star Game, Halliburton. And, and what's different? Maybe we'll get into this next hour. They're doing a live draft before the game to determine teams. Oh, okay. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Let's talk about that next hour. Yeah, let's definitely do that. Yeah, you know what would be awkward? The the uh, three-point contest would be a little bit of an awkward radio broadcast. In, in, no, out. Yeah, that, that'd be a little tough for Kesti and P.J. Carlissimo. Uh, we'll get back to the Colts conversation next. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star is going to break down everything that we saw from the Shane Steichen press conference. That's next. Welcome back to the Midday Show. Scott Agnes with Brendan King and Jimmy Cook. Jimmy, we haven't worked together for years, but you you hit my musical taste right there. I love it. I was going to get there at one point in time. I appreciate that. Well, let's go right to the hotline here. Last hour, we talked with Dave Spadaro of PhiladelphiaEagles.com, providing a Eagles perspective on Shane Steichen, the new Colts head coach. Now let's come back here to Indianapolis, joined with the Indianapolis Star Colts beat writer Nate Atkins joining us here. And uh, Nate, I'm just curious, yesterday had to be a jam-packed day for you, meeting the new head coach and hearing what he had, hearing his vision about what's upcoming. What was your initial takeaway and impression? about Shane Steichen? Yeah, I thought Shane Steichen came in and kind of struck a balance. Of, he was a little bit more low-key than most of these that I've covered. This is the third time I've done this. They've uh, kind of brought in a, season, a coach in the offseason for the Bears, the Lions, or the Colts, and uh, there's usually a little bit more pomp and circumstance. But this one, is, it was a bit of a rush hire coming off of the Super Bowl. Uh, stepping, you know, He's stepping right into it, and I just think there's a – you know, that it, it kind of underscored a little bit 
just more of a reserved approach to starting this out as he's a first-time head coach, uh, first time really just he hadn't really gone through the interview process a lot for these. He was candidate briefly in Carolina before uh, bowing out of that one and then uh, then got deep within this one and ended up being the guy. So I think he's coming in sort of with uh, you know excitement for the opportunity, but there's just so much to iron out as far as like you know, who the quarterback's going to be and how that's going to drive everything for this franchise. And it's ultimately it's a key part of why he's here. And I think we got to see some of that uh, approach come out. But it was also a guy I think was just um, just kind of playing it low-key for his first introduction with us, which is uh, not a problem after a pretty noisy past year or so. Nate, it's Brendan Difference in morale from mid-season Jeff Saturday press conference to yesterday's press conference. Oh, yeah, like night and day. It feels like a a franchise that got serious again. Uh, It was was a strange strange season when they go from uh, benching Matt Ryan to firing Frank Reich to bringing in, you know, a guy who had not coached above the high school level. And uh, just sort of the way that they packaged the whole thing, I think, was really what caught people off guard last season, kind of promising or at least – uh, wishful thinking that, that Jeff Saturday could be a long-term fix and maybe even an all-time great uh, was just sort of the way they pitched it in that Monday night presser. So that's kind of what I'm getting at with this one. There just was a much sort of more reserved approach to it. There's not not talk about you know legendary status or, uh, or hinting at really anything other than this is the guy we think right now is uh, the leader for us to try and fix a lot of that and get back to being just more of a serious franchise. For a long time, this is a franchise that – uh, that you know that did it the right way. That uh, that was considered stable. Ownership stayed out of uh, the decisions of the general manager and the coach, and it was a place a lot of people loved working. And got away from it for about uh, about you know three or four months in there, but. Uh, it seems like yesterday was a nice step in the right direction of getting that back on track. Joined with Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star Colts beat reporter. And to that point, Nate, I'm curious, does that does that provide some further proof that now maybe Chris Ballard's empowered a little bit to do his job again? Because from afar, it certainly seemed like, you know, you know, that was all Ursay's last couple of decisions, whether it was benching the quarterbacks and going to Ursay. You can't have a GM and then not allow him to do his job. Yeah, that was the big question we had at the end of the year was if Chris Bauer was going to be back, would he be able to have say over these big decisions coming up, head coach and quarterback? And so far, so good on that front. I know he was he ran pretty much the entire search from uh, the opening list of candidates to, uh, you know, pairing that down to the finalists that they were going to have meet with Jim Irsay in the second round. And I know he was very high on Shane Steichen. I think they both were. That's where this became a fit was that there wasn't a lot of uh, disagreement in the end once they talked through what they were looking for and just some of the notes that Shane was able to hit on in the interview but also show uh, as an offensive coordinator with the Eagles and then the Super Bowl. But absolutely, Chris Ballard, I mean, he's always hired this type of coach, this uh, uh, this offensive mind. This, he's always gone after that, whether that was trying to get Bruce Arians in Chicago or Josh McDaniels before he backed out, or Frank Reich, and now Shane Steichen. So this is Chris Ballard's type of coach, and he was able to get him. And that's that's where this thing feels like there's more alignment than maybe we felt in a few months. Hey, Nate, two-part question here. I'll start by asking you this, because we've talked about a lot today that you know hiring the coach is great, but it's a rather small step in the process of getting back to relevancy, because you need to get the quarterback right if this is even going to have a lick of working. So... How much do you think Shane Steichen 
uh, of a role he's going to have in helping select who they're going to draft probably come April. Yeah, he's going to have a role. It's hard to say uh, how much more it would be than a normal coach. I mean, they hired him in part because he works so well with quarterbacks. That's just a slice of it, though. They really liked uh, just sort of the overall offensive philosophy and uh, his ability to connect with certain staffers that they have and staffers that they like, the idea of the the group he'd put together. But certainly the best trait that he's put out there was his ability to build an offense for Justin Herbert and build one for Jalen Hurts. And he was uh, part of, you know, part of drafting Justin Herbert, you know, as the second quarterback off the board. And that one, you know, ended up working out so incredibly well as he won offensive rookie of the year. So they'll lean on him. The thing about it is like, there's not a certain, uh, there's not a certain type that he has to have. Uh, There's some people that are speculating. You try and try and draw these lines here, but like he's gone from Phillip Rivers to Justin Herbert to Jalen Hurts, which is about as wide of a range of age and experience and athleticism and everything you can possibly think of. So it's really going to come down to just the evaluations of that guy uh, when they meet with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, Will Levis and Nancy Richardson in the interviews, uh, talk through football, have them draw up plays on the whiteboard, watch them throw up pro days, and then go through the film. And he's coming into it much more fresh than these guys they have in the building who've scouted it for an entire year plus at this point. So this tends to be more of a general manager's decision because the front office puts a lot more just sheer hours into studying these players than the coach does. And there is this trust factor of, I think they believe that they can get whoever they feel like is the best option that they can get. They believe they can give him to Shane Steichen and that he'll have success with them because he's done that with such different quarterbacks before. So I think he'll definitely have a say in it. But if we're kind of slicing it up of whose say is what, I still think Chris Ballard's say is going to be the biggest one in that room. That's what I think too. But the the, the second part of my question comes from Ursay and sort of what Scott brought up a couple questions ago, that (sighs) is there any sort of animosity you think from an Ursay perspective that the last time that they kind of let a coach make a quarterback decision or really led the way with it, it was – the Carson Wentz and Frank Reich train, and we all know how that turned out. Yeah, probably a little bit of that from Mercy's perspective, but it's worth understanding how different situation is. The problem with, uh, you know, the problem with the Wentz situation was that, you know, Frank Reich had a personal bond with Carson Wentz. It was not going to really judge that objectively. It was unfair to ask him to judge that objectively versus a whole field of other options he didn't know. And that was coming off. He had recommended Philip Rivers the year before. That worked out pretty well. They were riding some of that train. But the difference is that, like, Philip Rivers was incredibly established. He very much predictable as to what he would be and what he would not be. And uh, Carson Wentz, his, his, you know, he had gone all over the map with uh, successes and failures and struggles and but they were getting him at his low point. There were so many red flags they overlooked because they want, because they had a coach who wanted to believe in him and they were willing to delegate to that coach. So it's just a different situation than uh, when Shane will meet for the very first time with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and doesn't have any of that sort of uh, connection in the past. But, you know, I do think that maybe there's a lesson there that, that Ursay, you know, doesn't want to lean too much on the coach. And that should be a lesson for Chris Ballard really is that, you know, at some point you have to be the one to make that decision and not always pass it over to the coach and then just hope that he has the right answers too. 
Talking with Nate Atkins, the Indianapolis Star, Colts beat reporter. Nate, beyond the coach now and the quarterback, what are those holes that you're giving the most attention to moving forward? Because there's obviously a lot of them. You can, you need weapons. You want to sh- shore up that offensive line, and then you also got to fill out a coaching staff. I think the first order of business for them beyond the quarterback is going to be offensive line because – Chris Ballard's made it clear that's where he's always going to invest money in. He's not going to back off of that just because it didn't work for a year. And so you want to return on investment for the money there, also the money they're going to spend to Jonathan Taylor when they extend him, likely this offseason. And then it's that's how you get a rookie quarterback comfortable. Is you want Shane Steichen to have the chance to really work through mechanics and footwork and uh, in routes and timing and chemistry with the receivers and not have to worry as much about uh, pressure that, it kind of comes out of nowhere, which is all of what happened last season. So it's it's interesting because I don't I, I don't suggest that they're going to blow up this offensive line. I think it's quite likely they'll have at least three starters back, maybe four. But they have to rewire they have to rewire the coaching staff for it. You know, completely different approach and blocking scheme. They need uh, and at least need at least a right guard to start there. They need a lot more depth there. And then they need options. They need an option of left tackle if Bernard Ryman doesn't work out. So I think that's going to be the first step. And then eventually at some point they're going to have to have a conversation about how much they want to invest in the weapons because that's the biggest difference between uh, the way that Shane Steichen's always had offenses and what uh, you know what the Colts have is he's had these high, high investments in offensive skill players, and uh, that's just not been the Colts' way yet. So, but I think that's going to be more of a you know, second-layer second, la- second layer evolution uh, step in this whole thing i would agree with that right now you get a, you gotta get that fundamental layer down pat and get those key players before you go chase after maybe those weapons that they have not been in on before you brought up the offensive line so i'll stay right there because i i haven't heard the overall feel just in terms of what went wrong this season when you were talking to guys during exit interviews and and obviously there was a lot of change and inconsistencies and lack of continuity but what was nate the overriding theme from that offensive line about where they struggled why that was and where they can improve upon going towards next season yeah i think with that group it starts with the construction that they had for it where they wanted to have a left tackle and a right guard in uh, Matt Pryor and Danny Pinter, who had never played those positions before, pretty much never played them at any level. Uh, Matt Pryor had one game as a left tackle, and Danny Pinter had just practiced a few games at right guard. And they, they only they set them free there, and then they didn't have any backup plans for them. And so I think they overrated a little bit of some of the other pieces, uh, maybe didn't bake in the downside of you know Ryan Kelly getting a little bit older. But really it goes back to those two positions were just such – massive holes without any kind of alternative that it, it ended up sinking the, the skill of the other guys around them. Uh, they did, And then they just didn't have the, the blocking and the other aspects of it. They didn't have, you know, losing Jack Doyle was a tremendous loss for the run game, especially uh, he's almost like a sixth offensive lineman uh, with the amount that they put on his plate and how much he was able to do. That was a massive drop-off. They just they didn't go out and, and really get anything proven at any of those three spots, whether it's left tackle, right guard, and tight end, to answer that. And then they couldn't overcome it, and, and it just sort of exposed. You know, they just they, they didn't level up enough in the coaching either. Where, uh, you know, when Chris Strasser had gotten here was when they had Anthony Costanzo. Ryan Kelly was in his prime. This was a super talented line, and 
just over time, it just it, it got a little bit worse. And, and they weren't when the group struggled, they weren't able to get it uh, back in a positive mindset, positive work environment. And it's almost like they, they just became the worst versions of themselves together and dragged the whole thing down. This is offensive lines work this way in this league. They either sink or swim together because they're so connected, because they're really working in a silo away from the rest of the positions that touch the ball. And so this was sort of the bottoming out of that whole group. And so that's where I think they, it, it's not a, you, know, you you change one thing like the system, the blocking scheme and the coaching, and you can see some dramatic changes over time just in the list of everybody collectively. And I think that's what they got to be hoping for. It's Nate Atkins with us from the Indianapolis Star. Nate, I wanted to get your take on something that a lot of folks have commented about, and that's Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone being inside the press conference in the building with Shane Steichen. Is that a good sign or a good enough sign that is to you that they're going to be back both of them i think it's an encouraging sign i wouldn't take it as a guarantee yet there were a lot of staffers there pretty much the whole defensive staff is there that and there's almost no one on the offensive staff but you're seeing the offensive staff you know just today parks frazier took a job in carolina that it's kind of easy to see that there is some connection there between who's likely to stay and likely to go uh but you know, they haven't hammered that all out at every position, but I would just be very surprised if he doesn't, if Shane Steichen doesn't keep Ventrone and Bradley, just because the nature of the timing of taking over this late after Super Bowl to build a staff, being a first-time head coach, not having as many of those connections, especially the special teams level. I, I've had a hard time finding anybody Shane has worked with that seems like, you know, someone you could consider replacing Bubba Ventrone with, and then the fact that. Shane worked with Gus Bradley and his top two assistants in with the Chargers, and and they got along well there, and they they connected pretty well there, and it, it just makes a lot of sense when those two units were pretty pretty solid this year. At least they weren't the problem of the team, and you could see them kind of having some upside. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for a first time head coach who comes from offense to keep those guys so he can just dive in even more, throw his full weight behind the offense because that's going to be the big question mark with a rookie quarterback. Talking with Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star. Nate, uh, to go back to Shane Steichen in his introductory press conference, it seemed like, and no surprise here is one, in a good way, maybe a little bit uncomfortable with those optics for him, or not the optics, but that, that moment, right? You're speaking to 75 people. This is a, a new normal for him, um, addressing a lot of people and being kind of a spokesman for the team. But he also seemed to bring in a new attitude, maybe a more harsher, uh, tougher, accountable uh, type attitude. How much do you think that was part of something the Colts valued throughout this process? They definitely valued it. I think that came even more from uh, from Jim Irsay, and there was some uh, motivations from players too to get a little bit more of a little bit more of that accountability. And when I say that, I'm talking about the entire coaching staff. Is that when Frank Reich first got here, uh, they, they had a lot of that. They had a balance of that. Even though Frank Reich is not really your fire and brimstone coach, he had Nick Sirianni on his staff, who is that way, and it sort of balanced itself out: the good cops and the bad cops. When Sirianni left for Philadelphia, that just started, just started to trickle away a little bit. Uh, and so they wanted a little bit more of that. That was really the whole appeal of bringing Jeff Saturday in in the first place, was this idea of this former player who would uh, really get in guys' faces. And he did some of that, you know, but obviously didn't have the rest of the picture there. So Shane Steichen was a little bit more of a compromise between those two where you have the experience coaching. He's done this for 13 years. He's been a coordinator. He's been in the Super Bowl. 
all that stuff, but also a little bit more of that style, that cutting style. He's done that. He showed that in the interviews, a little bit more intensity, which, again, I think you can have on any level of your staff. But if it became important to them, like it did to Jim Mercy, it made some sense to get it at the head coach level because then a team isn't hiring it away the way that the Eagles did with Nick Sirianni. It's, it's there kind of all the time. And that's certainly what he's going to try to bring here. Again, it's, it's a wild card. We've never seen him in that role where he's trying to be that for an entire team, both sides of the ball, special teams as well, and you know an entire coaching staff. So it is, it's going to challenge some of that potential in him. But he definitely was able to show that in the interviews. It's a big reason he stood out over some of the other candidates. Nate, my thought during the Super Bowl, especially watching the Chiefs win it, and again, Steichen matching up against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, is that, you know, the Chiefs is, in Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard's mind, that's where the Colts should be years after making this hire. I mean, that's where you're going to have to be. You're going to have to beat a Mahomes. You're going to have to beat a Josh Allen. You're going to have to beat a Justin Herbert if you want to get to your goal of winning a Super Bowl. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, how far away, and I realize the quarterback is a big piece to getting there, but how far away, in your mind, are the Colts truly from being to the level of a Kansas City, which is a bit ironic to ask considering they beat them this year, but how far away <laughs> is that roster from getting close to that? Yeah, if you think about it, the Colts won four games this year and the Chiefs won 14, and I'd say the real the answer to that is between those two. They're better than what they showed last year. There's still a clear step behind Kansas City, and the main reason is, like you said, quarterback, but also just the establishment of that system where you have Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy have been doing the same roles for the past four years, every year or five years now, every year with Patrick Mahomes, and it's built and it's built and it's built to a level where you know they can pay Patrick Mahomes, they can trade away Tyree Kill, and they can still win the Super Bowl. They're able to sort of absorb losses and get even better, whereas for the Colts, you know, any any you know, any loss of a Jonathan Taylor or Shaquille Leonard just kind of ripped apart their team. So this team has talent. This team just a year ago led the league in pro bowlers, led the league in all pro players, and had some impressive games where they, you know, destroyed the Bills and beat the Patriots and Cardinals. But, you know, there's a there's a floor to them too. We saw that last year with the Jacksonville loss. And then obviously this year it came out plenty of times where there's just certain positions where either the depth isn't there or it's too premium of a position to be taking a risk like quarterback and left tackle that those can kind of sink everything else that's around them. So I think there's potential for them to get this on track if they get the right quarterback because I do think there's a world where their defense and special teams are both top 10 units, which is obviously a big step forward. But again, that's what they were a couple of years ago and they ended up nine and eight because they didn't have that passing game. So I think they're probably a year or two off really talking any kind of, you know, real playoff contender type, but, um, but you never know because at the same time, the Eagles a couple of years ago, you know, they were kind of in the same spot. It, you know, they were coming off a 2020 season of just complete and utter disaster, hired a first time head coach, didn't know who their quarterback was going to be really. And then here they are. They're just a couple of plays away from winning the Super Bowl and won 14 games and two playoff games. So it can change quickly. You just need a, a million different things to go in your direction, but they have to nail quarterback, left tackle, head coach. They think they've got the start of that, but, you know, they're a long way off from having the full picture. Nate, it's been a busy week for you. Appreciate you making some time for us here this afternoon. Yep, thanks, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Nate. It's Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star. Busy week for him with the 
Colts hire and then all the things to come from the press conference and the future decisions. And, you know, I, I kind of laugh there when he was, yeah, it starts with the coach, then the quarterback, then the offensive line. And it's like, yeah, now there's the laundry list of issues of what's next. But Brennan, to your question, because I, I was thinking about it as well, is what? how does this team project moving forward? And I think last year it was kind of a shell of what this group could be. I didn't think they'd they would you know win a a playoff game thought they'd probably get to the postseason if they had the success they should have they had the talent like they did the year before but it takes a lot more than talent it's coming together it's calling the right plays having some momentum having some luck but if you look back like he said the philadelphia eagles were very much in a similar spot they hired a, a young fiery unproven coach from the colts by the way they drafted their quarterback got the guy that they like traded to get that spot and then made it work over two years. And I'm not saying that's the route it will go, but I think that would be the the perfect scenario. The ideal world would be you lay the groundwork, the foundation, you reset the culture, you hold guys accountable, you get on the same page next year. You groom that quarterback. And things change so much for players, no matter the sport, after year one. They kind of figure it out. They get the lay of the land. They get into a routine. Then in year two, Brendan, I think you hope to take off and see where that takes you. That'd be ideal. But again, it all comes down to the decision that's going to be made this spring. And it seems like, based off of the couple phone calls that we got and the tweets that we get, everybody and their brother has a different idea of where this should go, which is partially exciting and also partially scary because the options that you have, and there's a couple guys in here. I saw some people commenting in the YouTube chat earlier, the type of guys that can either get a GM extended for 10 years or fired in a couple, right? I mean, we're seeing that in Tennessee. Malik Willis has not looked up to par, at least from what was expected of him. And now Tennessee probably in search of a new quarterback. Could it be Derek Carr? Could it be somebody else? We'll see. But you know, based off of what you do, and it's nice that Shane Steichen has the track record of working with completely opposite quarterbacks from a Phillip Rivers all the way out to a Jalen Hurts. That's nice. But it comes at how you perform. And will the Colts have a veteran quarterback in the fold to start in the first few weeks next season? Will the guy they draft be ready past training camp for the regular season? These unanswered questions, really, I think you at least knew. You knew that Matt Ryan was going to be the starting quarterback week one heading into this year. I don't think you really knew Carson Wentz because he had the COVID thing and then the foot injury. You're like, is he going to be on the field? He was on the field. But... This is truly a mystery, Scott. Truly a mystery. And it could go in a thousand different directions here. Here's one other thing I would like to see. And it seems like the Colts have already gone down this road. But think about it. You got your offensive genius, so to speak, in their hiring and Shane Steichen. But he's going to be spread thin, having to handle so many different departments. So you need somebody else, I believe, in that department to help with the grooming of whomever this next quarterback is. We saw what Frank Reich did. Hiring former Colts coach Jim Caldwell to his staff in that kind of advisor overseeing role, which can help in a multitude of ways, including what it's like being a head coach, the different responsibilities, all those things on the field decisions you have to make. But the other thing we saw this morning that I thought was interesting, Brendan, was Shefty coming out and saying that Dan Orslavsky was courted a little bit by both the Colts and by the Panthers. I think something like that would have been fantastic. It would have been another younger guy 
someone who has experience, has been through so much, but he has also seen it from the outside, being removed from the league for so many years. But he has that creative mind. His breakdowns on ESPN are fantastic because he teaches you the game and why a team went about it in such way. I think that's a big reason Greg Olson, in just his first year as Fox's top analyst, was so successful. To my point, I would like to see kind of some kind of advisor or veteran former perhaps head coach come in and serve in some kind of capacity. You and I are on the same wavelength right now because I was just during the interview, I was looking at Shane Steichen's, um, the tree where he came from. So Shane Steichen, of course, was the quarterback's coach in San Diego and then LA before he became offensive coordinator. The guy he worked under in that offensive room, Ken Wisenhunt, who of course took the Cardinals to the Super Bowl. And then the playoffs, and he's the former head coach of the Tennessee Titans. That did not go well. Oh, Ken Wisenhunt, he's 60 years old now. He's an offensive, and again, this is uh, this is purely me speculating. Sure. Ken Wisenhunt is just an offensive analyst for Penn State. He is a like super assistant at Penn State. You think if Shane Steichen might offer Ken Wisenhunt a Jim Caldwell-type position, that might be enticing? I think so. And why this became relevant in my mind, too, was think back to Peyton's days. And what did he have with him? Tom Moore, Clyde Christensen. By his side for almost the duration. And I laughed because I just saw where last week Tom Moore, I think he originally was going to retire, I thought I read, from the Bucks after the season. And then guess what? He just re-upped for another season. Now, Clyde Christensen is retiring. Could the Colts talk him out of that? <laughs> Coming in a similar part-time role? It wouldn't ha- to me. It wouldn't even have to be a full time everyday job. Yeah, it, it's certainly game day and several yeah, like days. John a Fox week. was randomly on the staff the last couple of years. Like, yeah, and that was almost a different role. It felt like, and he was kind of the advisor on game day. Yeah, where he would say, "Hey, this might be a good chance to look at the challenge." But assuming they they retain those two individuals, I think it was John Parks. Excuse me, I forget the second guy. They had a couple analytics guys that were providing that kind of input and such for Frank Reich and the previous staff. But I think that would be a good way to help set Shane Steichen up for success is bringing someone with significant experience to surround himself with. We will see what happens. This is all enticing stuff. And the thing is, the answers to those questions, it's all going to be happening in about a three-month period or so. So buckle up, everybody. Brendan King, Scott Agnes, and Jimmy Cook. When we come back, we'll get back to NBA All-Star Weekend. Scott Agnes, he's got some thoughts on the Rising Stars game and how that's going to be formulated. Come back, chat about that next. Pacers and the Bulls tonight. That starts at 6.30 coverage here on The Fan. We're back on the Midday Show after this. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show. I'm Scott Agnes. Thanks for tuning in. I'm with Brendan King and Jimmy Cook. Yesterday, the NBA making it official, the participants for the weekend's events you have your skills challenge, of course. You have your dunk contest, your three-point contest. Those are all the events that make up the special All-Star Saturday night. But usually it's the dunk contest that gets all the attention. They save it for last, and deservedly so, until the last couple of years because it has not been good. This year's participants, I'm guessing your casual fan, your average Pacer fan, does not know any of these players. K.J. Martin, Trey Murphy, Jericho Sims, Mac McClung. Brendan, Jimmy, I asked you guys. Brendan, start with you. 
which, if any of these events, do you even follow or care about anymore? Or or has NBA All-Star Weekend kind of lost a little, a little bit of its appeal? Not nearly to the level of the Pro Bowl, to be sure. Yeah. The All-Star Game still is great, I think, when you know what it is. It's entertainment package. And you know it's an offensive showcase. But Saturday, I think it needs a tune-up. Yeah, I was so, to be fair, fully honest, I was not an NBA guy growing up. I was just not as into it as much as college basketball. But... Uh, a three-point, I mean, I, who doesn't love the dunk contest? But the three-point contest, I don't know, I just always enjoyed it. But I, I, I know Jimmy was a bigger All-Star Weekend fan than me growing up. <laughs> boy, oh boy, do I love All-Star there Weekend. There you go, yep. Wait, I don't know all the sponsors right now because I don't have it in front of me, but there was a time in college because... I love the NBA, and I'm a, a brand-based guy. We'll get some Sprite, some Taco Bell. <laughs> no, you were Rolling at IU, watch it All-Star Weekend. Absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> for me, I agree with you, Scott. Like, the, the dunk contest, I'm not as critical of it as most, but yes, the last couple of years have been downers um, ever since, what is that? Hopefully less than four years ago, the second time Aaron Gordon was in it. It all runs it, together. It, it, yeah, it hasn't been um, quite what I remember as a kid and, and definitely what the older generation remembers from the iconic dunk contest of yesteryear. Yes, I do find myself more and more intrigued by the three-point contest. And it's a fascinating debate of if you actually do a culture shift there and move it to the main event. But I don't know. I'm optimistic. These are a lot of, for the most part, young names in this group. They're, they're, they aren't, like like you mentioned, household names that non-NBA purists or non-NBA like must watch every night fans are going to know but I like the idea of giving young players a stage to do it and BK is right whether it was on the AAU circuit uh, or his time at Georgetown uh, Mac McClung loves to throw down a dunk at any opportunity I'm fascinated to see what he brings to the table yeah there, there's two parts to the dunk contest one it's having names and two it's what can they produce the latter to be determined I think it would be great if they could somehow I don't know, set off a pot of money. That would be enough for these guys to be interesting. Like I was addressing earlier, though, there's real value right now in the true break for a lot of these veterans. And I think that's absolutely playing a piece in it right now is guys would value going to Cabo, going down to Miami for 10 days, for a week, much more than getting just this this brief showcase that they actually have to prepare for, that they have to plan for. It's It takes up more time and bandwidth Right now, when we're 60 games into an 82-game schedule. But Pacer fans will be tuned in, certainly Saturday night, I think, to see Tyrese Halliburton, to see Buddy healed in the three-point contest. Maybe it's just being from Indiana, and we love shooters. It's funny to me, though, that the Pacers have not had a representative win the three-point shootout, despite hmm. having some good shooters in the past. We all think of, obviously, Reggie. But Buddy Heald's the favorite. Tyrese has the worst odds to win it. And... It really does not surprise me because Buddy's a previous winner. He's kind of defending his title, really, if you think about it, because he did not participate the last couple of years. And Tyrese, I'm curious how quickly he can get the shots off. I think that will be the biggest thing that could hold him back. Didn't Carl Anthony Towns win it last year or was that the year before? He was last year with a big, because he, big win. Because he was, yep. he had the worst odds last year. And I rem- I literally remember looking at the sports book odds. I was like, hmm, I wonder if I put a sprinkle a couple things on cat. <laughs> that's the, then, that's and, the other thing. You and then I did now it. in All Star Weekend, and, and and that 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 adds another element for me. I mean, obviously, I'm a 
You're Gambler throwing by some money on the but, line, uh, but I though. like nothing. But yeah, you can. Oh, I, w- whether it's like twenty five bucks on a on a, on a pacer. Okay, or whatever that's a little I mean. more than me. But. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but, but 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 for you know what I mean. Like like from our audience, sure. there, there's a wide range of first time betters that maybe it's five. But God forbid, don't put like hundreds of hundreds of dollars on no uh, all star festivities. But it's still added little, just another fun thing you could do from home. To be a part of the event, and all of a sudden you have a rooting interest, whether it's skills challenge, whether it's dunk contest, three-point shooting contest, it's that's another avenue that gambling has tried to carve out. Was I mad I couldn't bet anything on the Pro Bowl? You bet I was. I was very upset about that. All-Star Weekend restores it, and I can get a couple bets in. I love it. Who bets the Pro Bowl? I was just going to say, where do you even go with a bet with the they Pro don't, Bowl? They, they don't carry it huh? this year because it's But of years glorified. past, who bets the Pro Bowl? Uh True degenerates. What are you betting on? Touchdown scores? Any, you can well, do touchdown actually, score. anytime you touchdown some, scores are probably you some pretty Anytime touchdown, yeah. you do some prop bets, or you can just bet the game straight up, no, and my shockingly, it is about what you're looking at, even <laughs> money either way. It's about, I mean, it's mm. pick them, basically. So you're not, at least, again, it's only been around for gambling. It's been around since 2019 here in the state. Um, there's been, what, four Pro Bowls in that time? I hate the Pro Bowl. I, I, get it I, wrong. I, I, I don't have a either, true disdain but, but, for the but, old Pro but Bowl. But I can I get in if I have something to have something to root no, for. No, I get it. Past I, Pro Bowl I, couldn't. I respect you. I, I respect you very much. Do, hey, do, do you is Florida in sports betting now? Do you know I don't that? Think so. No, they, because, they tried no. and then things got a little wonky and now they're back to square one. Yeah, man. Because my dad and I, the my dad and I are going to a Panthers game next week, and I, I'd love nothing more than to throw a couple. It's a phone a bucks down. But yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Tonight, uh, <laughs> tonight, the Pacers hosting the Chicago Bulls before the start of All-Star Weekend. And a huge contingent, by the way, of Indianapolis heading over to Salt Lake City because it's going to be awesome. Next year, the event will be right here in our backyard in Indianapolis at Gamebridge Fieldhouse and such. But before we get to that, there's a game tonight, game 60 of the season. Daniel Tice, Miles Turner, both questionable. DeMar DeRozan is out with a right quad strain. Alex Caruso, questionable. And Goran Dragic is probable. Pacers badly need to get a win, Brendan. 16 of 18 they've lost, five in a row. It would it would be a great feeling, I think, for everyone. A nice little relaxer, I guess, if you will, if is if you could head into the All-Star break wherever many of them may go and just to, to feel success again. Yeah, I'm sure the Cabo clubs would be a lot more fun if you if you have a win going into the All Star break, right? Yeah, Come I mean, on. I, I'm never going to knock a win. Yes, I'm, I'm but sure. no, the drinks will taste better in it, the Cabo clubs if you're going with. Yeah. If you're like, hey, you know, we won on Wednesday. <laughs> Feel it's Saturday night, feeling good. Music's going. It's warm, sunny. Started off right. Right. Start the break off right. Even though I'm w. sure Cabo would still be fun with, yeah. with yeah, the yeah, loss, yeah, but, yeah. but still, but more to that, what you, you, I think as they're going through this rebuild, they need some kind of positive reinforcement. So while it is good in the big picture that the losses do pile up because they have a bigger picture in mind here, as they're in year two of this rebuild. There is those little little bit of a checkpoints, reassurances that they need to experience a little bit of success throughout the way. And for them, it's going to start defensively because it has been very yeah. poor on that side of the ball the last really month. There's three first round picks, right, that they have three first rounds, their own as well as Cleveland's and Boston's, which, you know, right now, those those latter two are going to be at the back end of the draft of that first round. So you're talking picks, you know, 24 and 30. It's absolutely draft ass- assets. That's another reason they got involved at the trade deadline to pick up more draft capital, dry powder, as Kevin Pritchard referred to it. Um, you're just trying to pick the, pick up those things because then come free agency and such, 
where this team can really improve upon the roster is number one through the draft, building their own, growing their own. And secondly, it's through trades because we really just don't get free agents in this market. We always go back to it, but David West is probably the best pacer to sign with them in free agency. Until that changes, that remains their current reality. And they'll have a lot of cap space. They have the draft capital. They have something they're building upon right now. But yeah, it would feel, I think, good for everyone involved to get a little taste of victory tonight in that five-game slide. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. When we come back from the break, we'll wrap it up. Jimmy's got some bets for you that are not all-star games. And I'll hit them <laughs> with you next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Closing it out on a Wednesday. Brendan King with Scott Agnes and Jimmy Cook. Pacers, Bulls. Coverage at 6.30 here on The Fan. Pat Boylan, Mark Boyle, Eddie Gill, and the great Eddie White with the world's greatest post-game show. A little bit later on, Dave Spadaro and Nate Atkins, our guest today, talking a lot about Shane Steichen, the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Meanwhile, Jimmy, what you got? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, first in the NBA, going to take the Denver Nuggets laying the four against the Mavericks tonight. That out in Denver. Now over to college basketball. Going to take the Indiana Hoosiers. It's one of the money line at Northwestern. Not done there, though. BK asked where scoring is going to come from. For right now, only need two spots. Taking Trace Jackson Davis over 19.5 total points. Also going to take Jalen Hood-Trufino over 12.5 total points at Northwestern tonight. 2-0 yesterday, 2-0 on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jacob. It's a great, it's a great bet. Nobody else is going to score. Nobody else, no, nobody else is going to score. Yeah. Miller Cobb's going to have two points. Betting hard on the stars there. I respect that. Right As the you stars. should. Stars it's come the, up the in the big now. nose. Yep. That is a great bet. Uh, the, Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings have won their last two games by a combined eight goals, and they stink. They're in Edmonton tonight. The Oilers are going to kick their butt. Give me the Oilers to win by two. Oilers puck line minus one and a half. You can get that at plus money, by the way. At plus 100, you can double your money. So, Oilers going to hammer the Red Wings tonight in Alberta. You criticized my Pro Bowl action, so I, I didn't uh, preempt you in the break if you wanted to give a bet, but if there is something you want to... I'm good. I do not have one. I was just saying, what kind of guy oh, insane. has a bet for the Pro Bowl it's insane. where things are predictable, things are made up. And truly, things are made up. We truly don't know how to even... You know. You said it right so- there. It's predictable. <laughs> That's why I want to get in on the action. AFC, oh, no, let's roll. There you go. What, what times are up? <laughs> Uh, just say it. About two minutes. I'm going to put it on the board. We just got okay. into the segment. but it, Sounds good. It, it, it's going to put it on the board. <laughs> you really want the official time, and the listeners can follow along yes, to please. 5440. <laughs> <laughs> two, exactly two minutes. See, we have a actual clock that goes by the seconds here in the drivehuler.com studio. It works out well. Uh, Scotty, your preview, Pacers-Bulls, what we got? Yeah, I just want to see a little bit more defensively from this Pacers group. They've been inconsistent on that side of the floor where it has not looked good. And it starts individually where guys are missing assignments. Then it leads to a, a, a pileup of guys just missing. And uh, it starts with a good start. That's been an issue for this team all season long. I don't even know what the, what the bet would be on that. But if you could take the opposing team generally, I mean, 
that's been the trend as Pacers start poorly, they fall behind, get down 10 points, three-pointers don't fall, then they get it going in the second half. But I think it would be helpful for their morale, if anything, of this team to get a win tonight, get a week off, get a week break, and then come back a little bit rejuvenated. Chicago and the the Pacers, it always makes for a fun game over there. A lot of Bulls fans drive up or drive over for this game because it's so hard to get tickets to United Center where it's almost always sold out. So you're saying in the race to 10 points in the first quarter, you would take the Pacers at minus 125? (laughs) Is that that what I'm I'm gathering there? I mean, it seems that way. (laughs) I don't know. You can't make, but you can wreck it. You can help. You can advise us. It seems that way, certainly, if you just go off trends. I don't know. Race to 10 seems like... I just like wanted to tell you there was a way to bet that. I got That's, you. Race to 10 seems like such a specific small window. Yeah, yeah you right can there. advise us like Nathaniel Hackett's coach with, <laughs> with Denver. You know what and I'm maybe like we'll have here with Hopefully the Colts. Hopefully better than that. <laughs> I trust Scott a little bit more than that. <laughs> uh, hey, thanks for being here for two days this I enjoyed week. it. No, thanks for having me Monday awesome. and Wednesday. And come in here and uh, feel the... Feel the experience of radio once again, like I have not had for a couple of years here. Love it, man. Scott Agnes, Brendan King, and Jimmy Cook. It's John coming up next. Pacers and the Bulls coverage starts at 630. Thanks for listening on the fan.